it. I was sitting in a petrol station last night and I was calming and oh mother of God, the window got tapped three <laughs> times in ten minutes. They are That mad. was the one lad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, 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 they're mental about it, yeah. That's Don't go to rock. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode. Right, bang on half past seven. It is Wednesday morning. You're very welcome along. It's Sharon Shane with you all the way through until ten. Shane, how's your mole going? Oh wait, uh, did uh, you? What's going on? I know. I need to. I need to do something about it. You, oh, you're actually. You're actually hey, yeah, yeah. Just only noticed. There you go. Um, yeah, fair play. Good effort. You'd make uh, a great detective. <laughs> I need to. I need to. See, I, I've had a beard now for. Ah, uh, yeah. Like. Whatever. Everybody. Everybody's making a little bit of a sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. It's fair. I'm afraid of change, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to. It does a kind of a. It's the 16th of November. Does it kind of a, if I shave now? Well, you know, better late than never. Okay. It's all right. about. It's all about. You know. Reminding people that it's important that they look after their health. That's all. Fair. I was going to die. I was you can't like, even make that much of a sacrifice. It's okay. You know, I understand. You know, you hate charity. We had to call me out. I, I was going to. I was going to maybe diet, shave it, and diet like, uh, like a random color, um, like purple or something. But my brother Is it was like, an early midlife crisis. Yeah, I was going to. You know, I was going to say. You know what? If I'm going to do it, I'm going to really lean You've in. You've already done the tattoos and the extreme sports. Exactly. And the, yeah, yeah. And the far flung travel and the climbing the mountains. True. I just need to pierce my ears now and. Well, okay, I was going to say, what, what's left? I haven't pierced my ears. Piercings? Yeah, piercings. Yeah, yeah. No piercings whatsoever. So that's the next step, I think, Jar, of the midlife crisis. Yeah, uh, very but good. We're talking about um, the real Ronaldo uh, a little bit later on. There's a new documentary out. Uh, you, have seen, you have seen the documentary. So I started at 11 o'clock last night, and I realised, okay, this is, this is an hour and a half long. It's a film. So I'll watch, I'll watch, 40, I'll watch the first 45 and watch the other 45 tomorrow. Uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't stop it. I, had, I, I was there at half 12, 20 to 1. Wrapping it up, uh, and so glad I did. What a film! Um, il Phenomeno. I mean, so what's the story about? It's, it's not like a, it's not the whole life. It's very specifically, specifically ninety eight to oh two. Uh, like, and and it's. I don't want to give too much away, but it starts with a bang and like proper uh, high paced ninety eight final. He's not not in the team sheet for the for the ninety eight final. What's gone on? And uh, like it delves deep into his the, the dark places he's gone with injury in his life. Um, of course, the retribution in O2 and the recovery from the injury as well. Relationship with managers, Hector Cooper at Inter, who he didn't really get on with before the 2002 World Cup. Hector was a bit of a bollocks. He was. what Like, massively so. <coughs> he just came in. It was all the rumours in Brazil that this is the Argentinian in charge at Inter and he oh. doesn't want to play in for the World Cup. Oh, and blah, blah, right. blah. So, wow, good, good conspiracy that I hadn't even thought of. Yeah, yeah. So but there, maybe there is something to that. But um, And then his relationship with Luis Felipe Scolari, who, uh, like, it really takes training seriously for Brazil before the 2002 World Cup obviously but uh, it's just one of those coaches he doesn't really put up with messing but Ronaldo was just one of these players in training who's like knocking balls out of his hand and all the other players are like leave him leave him just he's you know he's special he's going to win us the tournament um, and then there's the whole haircut uh, 2002 I just hadn't realised the story or thought about why he did it uh, he didn't really do it he essentially shaved his hair as was his pre-match tradition uh, before the Turkey semi-final in 2002 um, and went out into the the hall with that part left just, oh, as, a, just as a joke oh, right. to, to show the other teammates in the hall look at the state of my hair and they were all like oh that is that is horrific and Roberto Carlos says it's one of the worst haircuts he's seen and he's like I bet you won't go to training with that on do they have footage of all this? Uh, they, they, they somehow had footage of him shaving his head but not not that time Right. Uh, so he was a little bit younger shaving his head but like just the, the whole story and then all these little kids being interviewed saying yeah, with the haircut then and oh it's ugly but it's it's iconic and uh, it was just 
you forget some of the moments even like it, fo- it follows him it shows you some early clips from his time with Cruzeiro over in Brazil uh, and then he gets the move over to PSV and he's just this confident kid of braces you know saying wasn't Romario at, at PSV before him and he's saying I'm going to go and break all your records and it's before his first season at PSV he's like I'm going to score 30 goals and he does he's just one of these guys who follows through and everything he's going to do but I remember like Ronaldo's Brazilian jersey that was the first ever name I got in the back of a jersey I remember France 98 when I was o- I was over there in holidays in, in the summer of 98 and being obsessed with R9 got one of these you know these fake Brazilian tops you buy in the, the markets on, on your holidays they're fake I know um, but I remember it ripping like a year later in the wash and I was just inconsolable like this was the, the worst thing that had ever happened to me um, but like he was just so so iconic and that was like that that period of my life from 98 to 02 where I was young enough to be impressionable and you know you'd want to copy what any footballer does now I didn't quite as go as far as getting the haircut but uh, like he was just that even the, the image of the boots around the neck after the 98 final when he's uh, gutted after France have beaten them um, just so many iconic images from it really really great film highly recommend we're going to speak with the director of that a little bit later on and um, uh, get his thoughts on like trying to capture somebody who is so iconic and also who has had his name stolen by the other Ronaldo yeah of course like, we were talking about the other Ronaldo for, two, for two <coughs> you, you've met R9 uh, yeah yeah at uh, Web Summit got to interview him and um, got to talk to him for about 10 minutes beforehand he was like oh, I'm not going to do this in English my English isn't good enough and then did it, kept talking in English the whole time and did, <laughs> just did it in English and it was perfect well what would you have done or could you have Oh, we had to get a translator, translator and it would really slow and boring and, and like, you know, obviously you have to tone it down from the yeah. um, bus. What was he like? Uh, friendly? Yeah, like exactly like you, a vuncular, you know, uh, gossipy, um, <laughs> having the crack, being like, you know, yeah. being the owner of a football club who has, that's it, they just survived. Oh, hang on, so what's, it was the previous season that they just survived and um, he was basking in the glory of still being a, um, and just like you know taking everybody to his house in Ibiza yeah. and then they would train on his football pitch in Ibiza oh, I mean. <laughs> so he obviously lives in a nice he has, he has another nice house in Ibiza apart from the one that he must live in close to the club he as well a, as he's a decent life he's, things worked out for him in the end you know because there was definitely a period where it was like the back to back injuries this is just going to be one of those great careers of what might might have been and then he goes on to win the World Cup That's and still win the Ballon d'Or afterwards yeah so Ballon d'Or and then World Cup right madness like he doesn't even get into it you know like the hat-trick against United at Old Trafford in 03 it doesn't like doesn't even go that far like it stops at the World Cup in 02 um, but I had forgotten the moment like when it's building up the tension of like, Coppa Italia first leg when he's returned after a long period of injury for Inter against Lazio he comes on the pitch and the music starts I had forgotten exactly which match the the a terrible injury had happened in but the music starts going in a way you're like oh shit something bad's going to happen was about to happen it was like a mo- the middle of the movie where you're like this is yeah this is not good and uh, yeah lo and behold the pop and just the sheer like the tears from him coming off the pitch and you're thinking this is this is a man who's after recovering from injury there's even a clip of him when he was younger being asked what's the what do you fear are you, fr- are you afraid of I think he was asked most in football and he said injuries and this is before he had any injuries so he was always on his head um, understandably but um, great insight with his mo- his parents as well are interviewed and Scolari and Carlos is sitting beside him for a large, large swathes in, in present day talking with him about Roberto Carlos yeah, All right. who was his uh, roommate for the, for the World Cup in 02 and, and in 98 as well 
And uh, yeah, some really, really fascinating. And, and Christian Fieri, who's, by the way, just obsessed with Ronaldo, like came to Inter solely because of Ronaldo. Oh, right. Just to play with him. Has and, he, um, he's, I haven't seen him talk, but he speaks with an, an like, Australian accent. Was it, yeah, was he, I wasn't sure whether it was American or Australian. It must be Australian, but like his English is incredible. Yeah. Better than mine. Um, so also had a, a nice life, Christian Fieri. He has. Things as, worked out for him. As it, was, Robbie, was Robbie Keane's Inter was just after this period, of course? Um, Robbie Keane's Inter was... What year did he um, join Inter? The Italian manager uh, Lippi. Uh, Lippi. So it was who, who sacked about six weeks after um, the start, so start of the season. So Lippi signed him, then got sacked, and then sure he never played. Two thousand to two thousand and one with Inter Milan. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's mad. So it was around that period. But like that, the, the, the number of unbelievable strikers that Inter team had at that point, and they just couldn't get over the line to win the league. So was Robbie there at the same time as well, Ronaldo? 2000-2001, and then Ronaldo 9 was... I'll tell you now, like this is... A, uh, it's one of those things where you're like... The, the, it, just to play with him, everyone was trying to get transferred to Inter Milan. He was 97-02, yeah, so he was there. Keane and Ronaldo were there together. Right. Which I hadn't realised at all until this morning, but... Um, yeah, just the esteem in which he's held at those clubs. Hard to get into that team. I mean, when you've got R9 and, and Christian Vieri, it's a bit of a struggle. I think there's some others as well, though, isn't he? It's, um, anyway, yeah, we, yeah, we can, would have because he was injured for obviously a large portion of that yeah. back-to-back seasons. Yeah, but then, and then but then Hector Cooper comes in and and Ronaldo's back from injury. He's he's done some serious work to get back, and he just won't put him in the team. And he's like, I won't get in this Brazil squad without getting game time. And, and you don't you realize the drama when Scolari is going to the team hotel. Uh, and people who have seen the videos of the this Brazilian squad for this World Cup getting named, and the moment, like the, the it's big deal, it's a yeah. big deal. And uh, the moment where Scolari is named the team, and he's saying in advance to the media, "I have 22 players confirmed, and I'm one I'm not sure about." And it emerged that the one he wasn't sure about was Ronaldo, who goes on to score, of course, what eight goals in the tournament. He wasn't sure about it because of the injury, because of the injury, and whether he, you know, get lack of game time with Inter that season, he right. just hadn't been playing enough. Right. And uh, yeah, lo and behold, he's the last name listed out, and and because he sa- he says Louis Chal, I think is the second last name, and that meant either Romario or Ronaldo were were being left out, and of course Ronaldo is the last name listed out by Scolari so the rest is history Romero Romero was like 36, 38 yeah of course but at the same time you know he'd he'd won a World Cup for you so Uh, right Uh, some of the other stuff that's going on this morning um, we are going to bid for the Euros there's going to be a joint bid with us and uh, the UK and there'll be a load of games there'll be games in Croke Park and the GA rowing in behind this um, you know, a lot of people rightly question the merits of investing loads of state funding in hosting events for cash-rich organisations like UEFA, like FIFA, like the Ryder Cup or whoever. Uh, but when you spread out the cost for loads of different countries on balance, all help each other out. Yeah. What That's do you it. think? I think it, I think it'll work. Like I remember, I spoke to Noel Mooney about this recently at the, of course, the formerly FAI and now with the. Football Association of Wales, like they're pushing hard for. You see, obviously five teams can't automatically be um, given places in the tournament. So how they're going to split who gets in and who doesn't automatically is going to be a bit controversial. What did Mooney have to say? Well, he said essentially saying it might come down to something like rankings. You know, the top two and three, oh. four rankings essentially, which uh, would would suit them quite quite nicely, I think. Um, 
So, but that is going to... Uh, well, let's just wait and see how they get on when... Uh, <laughs> he said it's early doors in terms Gareth of... Gareth Bale's gone. Yeah. Like, that discussion, it's early doors because we don't know how... They can't give five places. You were assuming it was the number of games that you host, so we'll automatically qualify. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it won't be. Yeah. And Cardiff have been pushing hard to host the first game of the tournament. Right. They really want the showpiece first game. Um, for whatever reason, but uh, they can have the first one. We can have the most, and we get the automatic qualification. Away you go. Happily That's, take uh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice little uh, split there. I, I think it'd be a great thing. Um, Our opening ceremony will be better than theirs, obviously. Hundred percent. Our culture is richer and more interesting and more varied than yours. Yeah. You know that, like, and you can you can come at us in the comments, but you know it's true. <laughs> is it the type of thing though where I assume Wembley gets the what semi-finals and final, and the other countries are little divvied out little group games and last sixteen matches? Maybe. Don't know. I mean, you have to assume that this is basically an English bid that we're like helping to take a bit of the edge off, given that they have um, Mister uh, Firework up the hole. Yes. And as the chief representation of our latest last memory of the time they hosted something there, so yeah, well that's true. Well, at least at least with a tournament like this, we can we'll have our own fans. The the, uh, the fans in Ireland and, and Wales and Scotland will be will be quite authentic. Unlike at the back of the papers, so if you saw the the fake England fans over in Qatar, no, I didn't see this at all. I heard you talking about it. What was it? Allegedly fake England fans, I should say. So the England fans landed to the hotel in Qatar yesterday, uh, and there was a group of whatever fifty, sixty, maybe more. Um, I think they're from Kerala, the Indian province. Now, they claim they haven't been paid by the Qatari state to be England fans. They said, oh, we, we uh, in our state in India, uh, Brazil and Argentina are the, the most supported countries, and then England come third because they watch so much Premier League football, which I understand. But, uh, you know, they're all singing um, It's Coming Home, com- like completely the wrong tune, not in the way that the song is sung whatsoever. Well, I mean, that's probably... Appropriate, you know. They go on. Yeah. Well, fair. Um, one of the uh, fans interviewed Southgate is our super manager. Uh, Pickford is our super keeper. Um, what was the other one? Sterling is our superstar. Like it just had the the vibe of you know if you're explaining you're losing and all these fans had were straight up going up going. Oh, we're not fake fans. We're we're real England fans. We made these jerseys ourselves at home. These England jerseys. Uh, all obsessed with, with Harry Kane. When Harry Kane gets off the bus, they're going mad. But Southgate gets the biggest ovation of all. He seems to be a right. to be a hero. So um, th- th- I think there was a parade done the other day as well in Qatar. And a lot of the fa- they were all basically local Qatari fans or people who appeared to be there. Uh, maybe not at their own uh, decision. But um, yeah, it's just got a weird vibe of fake fans about it. Uh, look, the, the real fans are going to arrive in from countries over the next week or so but it'll be interesting to see what numbers the real fans are there and yeah. whether or not the stadiums are actually full 12 pounds for a pint apparently it's been and they're fun. hiding the beer that was the latest thing yeah. that um, they're going to have to try and uh, make it not so obvious that Budweiser are the main sponsors and I'm sure Budweiser uh, globally are not going to be particularly happy about the fact that they've invested 70-80 million in yeah. uh, FIFA and, and involvement in this and then all of a sudden it's like well, uh, you can't throw anybody. It's like, what? That's a bit mad. Um, the other, like, there are horrific stories coming out about uh, gay Qataris being um, threatened uh, with um, significant either jail time or worse, uh, unless they out uh, friends and uh, other people who are who are gay as well. And it's just like this; it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Now, you know, we would never have heard anything about Qatar. No one would think about the Qatari things if this wasn't all happening so you have to I think give credit to the journalists and, and certainly to the whistleblowers who are telling the stories and continue to amplify them mm. and at the same time the football starting on the weekend you know? forget that isn't it Sunday like Sunday guitar against <clears throat> you actually forget that, that, that from Sunday onwards 
it's all going to just be a snowball effect where everyone is like, oh, what games are on today? What games are on today? And it's only, as, as the lads have said before, like it's only the day after the final or 20 minutes after the final now where we're all going to turn around and go, oh, that was a bit... I think we're, we're. I think everybody's a bit uncomfortable. We'll no, we'll know during. We're all uncomfortable, but it's it's like during the actual football itself, you go through the motions. I know I'll be guilty of that. Um, going through the motions, watching the football, and then as soon as the tournament's over, going that yeah, that was that felt nasty. At least we're talking about it in advance that it, that it's going to feel nasty to to watch a, a tournament that feels as fake and as crap as this. Uh, Christian Vieri wanted to be a cricketer rather than a footballer, says David Wilson, uh, one of the team who. This is according to Marcotti on the Golazzo podcast. So, and I had, he said there was something in his background about being multi-sport. He definitely is one of those people who won the genetic lottery. Christian oh. Barry did all right out of the uh, <laughs> as he fell out of the genetic tree. It was like, yeah, I have a little bit of everything. Yeah. Thanks very much. He's, he's character. It was funny. Like Paolo Maldini was was interviewed briefly during it as well, and he says the only players that made him actually stop before a match and go. Okay. He's more handsome than me. Yeah, well, that too. Well, he said the only players that made him th- say think and go carefully in this match were Maradona and R9. So, like, he, he, the only times he ever stopped, remember stopping before a match to consider who who was up against him, was when Maradona or Ronaldo were on the other end of the pitch. So, that kind of highlights, you know, defender of Maldini's talent and confidence. You're, you're not, you don't care who's, who you're up against. Like, w- when you think about it, Vieri scored the goal that. Uh, should have won the game for Italy against South Korea which may well have led to them going on to win that World Cup oh yeah do you know yeah I forgot about that and that would be that would be a big moment in history and that team was definitely getting better as the tournament went on but they got completely robbed because of you know referees yeah. and FIFA and corruption and um, it's just interesting to think about like how good things might have been for that team yeah at least they went on to win in 06 they, they did got, they got their World Cup he didn't no, no, he didn't. Of course, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's a fair point. O two, but O two after ninety eight, it was that retribution for Ronaldo as well, and for Brazil after losing the oh, final. Wouldn't it have been good to see them play? I know, you know, yeah, true. Uh, OTBAM is brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Some of us effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. Here's what's coming up between now and ten o'clock. Paul Finley's going to join us in a couple of minutes' time to talk to us about uh, Bally Bay's ultimately unsuccessful Ulster Club Championship. But what a wild ride it's been for them this year. Uh, Doug McMath is going to join us at uh, ten past eight to talk to us about the Ronaldo documentary. We've got the sports pages. We'll run through all the headlines with you at uh, eight thirty-five. We're going to preview England's World Cup with Clive Allen. Um, apparently Harry Kane is very tired according to Antonio Conte which is you know not exactly how you want your team to be going into the World Cup uh, Evan Daly is a, an Instagram superstar who used to be a jockey and gave up the very hard life of being a jockey um, to become uh, an Instagram and TikTok star who's now leading us all in uh, a better way of um, approaching our health and Philippe O'Claire was on with Joe last night talking about all manner of things Francis deep uh, embedded relationship with Qatar all the way back to Nicolas Sarkozy and Sarkozy he was such a good fellow wasn't he he was, he was a good guy where, where is he now I haven't, I haven't really seen him do much from a political mm. situation just recently what, what's he up to these days you don't really see much from him anymore where, where is he what's he at oh is he busy is he, is he doing something gone quiet hasn't he um, right uh, one last thing Roy McElroy is feeling oh, himself at the moment love it Right, so in the papers today, he's talking about how, you know, ultimately peace needs to break out, which is kind of what we predicted all along. At some point, a deal's going to be done between Live Golf and the PGA Tour, and the two things will coexist absolutely happily, and everybody will get even richer, right? 
I bet you Saudi Arabia are going to sponsor one of the biggest and richest events on the PGA Tour and the live golfers will do their thing and the two will meet up for four or five or eight or nine or ten tournaments over the year and they'll be um, part of a joint broadcast deal. Something will happen because there's so much, too much money for it not to happen. But McElroy has been talking about Greg Norman who obviously has been the bull in the china shop forcing this thing through and you know if you were to look back at like where Live Golf went from not being in anybody's consciousness to where they are now basically having blown up the game of golf you'd have to say Greg Norman has done an excellent job at that if you were you know uh, taking it from the Live Golf side but apparently uh, his relationship with everybody is not good Uh, certainly outside of the the Live Golf people um uh, McElroy has said it's time for there to be an adult in the room mm. and maybe peace can happen. Already Liv are like negotiating with uh, or have talked to some guy who now runs Taco Bell but used to run TaylorMade or one of the big uh, paying, one, one of the big golf manufacturers. Davis, isn't it? And, um, Mark Davis. And so it looks like that move is going to happen and as he's out the door getting shoveled, shoveled up upstairs to ascend to his uh, his rightful place that the as the king of Liv Golf um, well, obviously you have to be assistant to the king um, well paid assistant to the king uh, McElroy's like pff, kicking him up the hole oh, like, we need an adult in the room can't do it with Greg I'd say Greg Norman and these live golf um, heads wake up with cold sweats in the middle of the night thinking about Rory McElroy because he, he's got so much power Rory every time he opens his mouth you're like well everyone's listening everyone is listening PGA or live you're listening and uh, yeah he comes out and he's essentially calling him a dinosaur Get out the gap, Greg. Just leave it to someone who knows what they're doing. He's he's like he's gone in two footed, and uh, more power to him, Rory, because he's he's he doesn't hold back. Generally speaking, when he's talking about the live golf issue, of course we know that. But um, when he's really really going for someone like like Greg Norman, I mean everyone's going to take notice. He's got a lot of headlines in the papers today, and rightly so. Um, I want to hear Greg's response. Well, Greg, Greg is uh, Greg's. You know, not noted for taking stuff lying down. There's a bit in The Sopranos where Tony Soprano starts reading The Art of War by Sun Tzu, and uh, one of the key tenets is if, like, your if your opponent is kind of prone to, you know, overreacting to things, then provoke him. <laughs> and that's kind of uh, it. Seems like if Rory's reading The Art of War and he's like he's doing precisely what Sun Tzu would be. But that's the position of power. Usually, you provoke like you provoke like your younger brother, and that's that's the art of war. But Rory is provoking the old grand uncle. Like he is, he's going for the elders. He's he's like get out the gap, finish finish this facade and this madness that is the live tour. Um, look, the comments were very very strong from Rory as well. It's not like just reading the headline and then you just breeze past the rest. And he said, "Oh yeah, Greg, this, Greg, that." He's really gone for him. Um, so fair play to him. If your opponent is of choleric temper, seek to irritate him. That was the one that I was looking for there, and kind of butchering a little bit. But um, seems to have, uh, seems to be the thing that uh, Rory's doing here. He's like, yeah, he's obviously read the book. I'm, I'm in charge. Let's see what happens. And it's uh, you know, it's obviously all working out for Rory at the moment. So the other thing, obviously, Josh Cullen has been named uh, Ireland Footballer of the Year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gavin Bazuna is the Men's Young Player of the Year. Katie McCabe is the Senior Women's. And um, Bazuna got Young Player, didn't he? Yeah. 
there used to be, yeah. there used to be a ceremony they, they'd all be in black tie they'd be up on a stage there'd be a TV show there'd be a competition for goal of the year they'd be on telly is it, is it gone? Is it I, gone happening I anymore? hadn't heard about it but it must be gone because uh, yeah usually they hand the awards out of those and uh, clearly Paul, McGra- Paul McGrath now to be fair got the honour and distinction of giving to them in the, in the hotel yeah which that's really great would have been great on t- uh, like we would all have been like oh yeah Paul McGrath that's amazing <laughs> yeah yeah, they could have done it with a bit more publicity. I, I, like, was is, is Qatar the issue? Is the fact that they're, they're just not were they not offered the telly slot that they normally get? Well, maybe that that's an issue. Do as you well. know? Um, and I, I guess they've got games, they've got games this week. They wanted to get it done before the end of the year, but they could have done it maybe after this little window. Yeah, in between the two games, like you know. Yeah, between the two games, yeah, that could have been the only window they could possibly have done it. But Josh Cullen, well deserved. It's uh, 7.54 this morning. If you want to get in touch with us, 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Or, of course, you can always uh, leave a comment on the YouTube stream. Now, we're turning our attention to Gaelic football. I'm delighted to say Paul Finlay is with us after a season in which he's rolled back the years. Paul, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Good morning, guys. How are you? Yeah, so unfortunately, we're talking to you now without uh, another match to look forward to. But as the... um, as the dust settles on the defeat to Kalku, are you able to look back on the whole year just yet and think yeah, it wasn't a bad year? Yeah, well, I think um, you know, gradually getting over the disappointment of the weekend just gone. Um, you know, we, we did go into the game hoping to, uh, I suppose, land a blow on the all current All Ireland champions. And yeah, you know, at, at times we maybe it looked like we were going to maybe create some good chances and maybe did create some good chances in the game. But we have to admit that Kilku were really on it and. With a better team on the day, and um, yes, since then, you know it's just been reflecting, you know, getting over the initial disappointment, and then you know, obviously realizing that we've had a great season, Bally Bay back senior champions in 2022, and then you know a first for Bally Bay in in the Ulster Club Championship, and and who better than Cross McGlenn maybe to take out? So yeah, we have to look back and, and realize it was a really good championship. Were you always going to come back this year? Was it always your intention to play club football this season? Um. Yeah, you know, there's definitely been um, conversations and thoughts over the last number of years. You know, what do you go again, and do you, do you, do you keep coming back or whatever? But uh, thankfully, um, from an injury point of view, you know, I was in good shape. Um, I try to always just keep a little bit of training up, so that always helps that you're not starting from a too low base. Because at, at the age I'm at, you know, if you if you're not, you know, in some sort of condition, you know, getting getting up to the to where the lads need to be or where you need to be, and where the young fellas are these days, um, would just be too difficult. So, with with ticking a few of those boxes, uh, and then everything being right at home. Um, you know, I was I was always able to and wanting to give it a go. Uh, we've been knocking on the door the last few seasons, uh, this current Bally Bay team, and yeah, I just felt that there was there was still something there, and and always wanted to give it give it another go. Paul, yeah, yeah, as you said, you had a great year in, in the Modern Senior Championship as well, and and to stop Scotstown's run for for three in a row is 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 always a nice sweet thing to do. And like, what I was wondering is, you know, in terms of the celebrations, the Monday Club, this famous Monday Club, like, is it the same when you're 39? Is it? Do you still have to be seen to be the the leader of the group, or is it you duck out at nice and early after the one night? Um, yeah, the, the Monday Club has come becoming quite famous. Um, I have to say I was part of it. I wasn't the leader of the group by any stretch. Um, I, I certainly enjoyed it. Um, it was it was really special. Like you know, we had a really good celebration coming back to the club Sunday evening and into the, the town as we call it in Bally Bay. You know, Shane is not that big a town, but um, it's the town for us. And um, yeah, it was really really good. And then Monday, as you know, that you know we we did a, a run around a couple of schools that's in within the town and the community and. Um, 
yeah, we all got together just around lunchtime or just after, and uh, we had a really good day. Um, yes, main part of it, but a big part of it, but not the main part, and that the young lads were driving it on, and I certainly did duck out at, at, at a time that suited me, and um, got, got home within a, a reasonable hour, shall we say, but it was really good, really, really enjoyable, and if there's nothing beats it on, on, on the Monday when you have a cup back in the village or the town. I'd say when uh, when Jerome Johnston saw the draw, he was uh, he was starting to get a cold sweat, thinking, "Oh Jesus, if we win the county championship here, this could this could get messy if we recross the dead. Like, was this? Uh, I'm, look, I'm sure he's had to have this conversation when when Jerome was originally even touted to get the job. You know, famous Kilku man, he had as as has been publicised well, three sons and six nephews on the team. So, was this a conversation that you knew was going to have to come up, or was this something that was just settled before the the, the year even started? Well, it was settled before the year even started, to be fair to Jerome, and before he took the job. It wasn't even this year. It was uh, back maybe 18 months ago, nearly two years ago now, when, when Jerome and Mark um, Doran took up the role. You know, uh, Jerome, to be fair to him, did point out that, you know, in the dressing room I was there, you know, that if it ever came to pass that, you know, Bally Bay were to get out of Monaghan and, you know, the, the most difficult thing and the one that he couldn't do was to manage against his own sons and his family. So I suppose that was pointed out from, from the, uh, the day, day dot. And I, I guess we were all thinking that if we if it does come to pass, you know, Bally Bay will be in a good place. And sure enough, uh, this year, um, you know, getting out of Monaghan and the draw being set up the way it was. Now, we said had the, envy, the unenviable task of trying to beat Cross McGlenn, but that we did, and then the fixture became a, a reality. And it was a really difficult one for Jerome, to be fair. Um, I don't think anybody in the club or the team has, you know, has any ill feeling towards him. Um, he did what he had to do, and he did what he, he said he would have to do a way back two years ago. So, you know, it was a difficult situation. Didn't didn't work out great for us not having our manager on, on the day, but look, Everybody understood the situation, and we move on. Yeah, for, for me, that was the thing that, like, if if it, if you'd only found out the week before that he wasn't going to do it, then that's not great. But actually, the fact that he'd all been told from the start meant that it wasn't a, a sudden change of, of anything, and, and that I guess makes it a bit more palatable. It's obviously, as you say, difficult. It's not ideal, but at the same time, you know the score. That's the truth, and and he stuck to his truth. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you just have to respect uh, the man that, that, that made the call. You know, I think he puts it back on our, our, our own club, but he puts it back on Valley Bay, the fact that that was the case. You know, as I say, at the time, you know, there was a feeling, you know, that we, we, we had been knocking on the door in Monaghan, but not getting the job done. And we felt that if he could get us get us out of Monaghan, we were willing to take that, that risk that, you know, that, that might happen. And, and sure enough, it did. But look, it, it, it wasn't um, a game changer. Like, yes, it wasn't ideal, but it wasn't a game changer. Kilku came uh, last Saturday, last Sunday with, a, with a, uh, you know, a super, super performance that we couldn't match. And had Jerome Johnson been on the line, um, you know, would that have been different? Who knows? But, you know, we have to accept that. You know, Kilku are really, really strong. They're current All Ireland champions, um, and they really seem to have the, the desire within their, their group to, to be going again. Is it safe to assume that, as one of the, the senior people in the changing room and in the club, I suspect at this stage with, with your uh, playing profile and still going, that you would have been relatively involved or instrumental in saying that you need somebody from outside, you need somebody of Jerome Johnson's calibre two years ago to help you get over the line? Um. I guess I, I wouldn't take all the responsibility. We certainly have a lot of experience within our team and within the club. Um, and we, we always have an open and an honest conversation about who's available. Like, I suppose ideally you always look to, to the point from within your own club. Um, and, 
you know, I suppose there wasn't anybody forthcoming. There wasn't anybody knocking on the door looking for that role. Um, and we, we just automatically had to, you know, and have had to, apart from Colin Malone, who took us um, maybe before uh, Jerome and Mark's time, um, Colin, you know, a Ballybay man and has, is, is well known in the coaching scene, you know, took the role for two years, took us to a, a semi-final and final, um, you know, just not getting over the line. So he, you know, just decided that that was enough for him. So that that left us in a position where we had to go uh, looking outside again. And such is the case with, with, with a lot of clubs these days, you know, that's just what they have to do. And, you know, we were no different. It was funny as well. Like I suppose you, you Paul, you're in the the position in the team where, as you say, you have the three young kids at home, and you can you can maybe imagine what it hypothetically would be like to, you know, down the line have to manage against your own. Like you can probably understand Jerome's perspective from 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 that from that sense of being a father as well. Yeah, you know, I did you know throw that through my head last week, and um, I couldn't I couldn't come up with anything other than understand Jerome's position. Like you know, as I say, three young fellas here. Um, of course, they're not at that stage yet, but um, just even the thought of of trying to pit against them um, doesn't sit well. Like you know, and I think that's the same for any father. And you know, Jerome was in that position last week. I haven't I haven't chatted to, to him about it, uh, but I, I assume it was a difficult week in the house. Um, you know, the three lads trying to prepare um, for for a big big game. You know, Jerome most if not all the time you know wanting them guys to get over the line you know in in every way that there was bound to be some um different emotions i say I, i'd say coming coming to to to, to four um with jerome last week but you know that's just the, the position that that both bally bay and kilku landed in uh, last week and uh, i guess it's it's history now kilku have marched on that they look forward to a semi-final and uh yeah we we have to you know just go back you know, and look forward to, to next year one of the and, and and not to layer the point anymore, but um, one of the interesting things to me about the whole thing was that it became such a massive story. Like, I wonder is that part of the function of the split season where these club games are actually getting elevated and everybody's talking about the two or three main storylines? So, you know, there's probably loads of times where David Clifford has scored the goal that he scored at the weekend, but the fact that it's this time of the year and there's not much else on and maybe the weather's slightly better than uh, it would have traditionally been when he was scoring it the footage is excellent like these things are are getting elevated were you a bit surprised by the fact that literally the whole country anybody who's following anything to do with Gaelic football were talking about it yeah it, you know it did grab a lot of attention um, I guess I, I think that's probably what's good about the split season um, we are you know in the shop window if you like uh, you know, from all the club's perspectives um, you, you get out of your club or your county uh, you win your championship uh, there's an Ulster Championship, a Leinster, Munster, Connacht, whatever it is, uh, to play in, uh, and that's where the media are focusing on because there is no other Gaelic games happening. Um, so I think that that's good, that's positive. Um, I think anywhere David Clifford's playing these days or any day, um, people want to tune in, such as the uh, the joy it is to watch him. Um, you know, some of the things that he's doing in the game at the moment are just outstanding and you know great to watch. So you know, having the opportunity. Um, to, to watch him is, is brilliant. Um, I, I suppose that the, the coverage that you know our own game against Cross Midland was live on TV that went out to a lot of people. I suppose we upset uh, the odds that that evening beating Cross Midland, so that was a, a big surprise to the media. It was a big surprise to everybody watching, um, and I think that probably lifted the profile of their club a little bit, and then hence the the, you know, the conversation just kept going. You know, with everybody yeah. knowing what the next fixture was, and it just kept rolling and rolling, and as you say, maybe not too many other games, and you know, happening. Um, you know, that's why it took such a spotlight. But 
you know, there was no, there was nothing bad about it. You know, nobody, you know, apart from Jerome feeling a little bit, you know, maybe bad about the situation that he was in. But, you know, from our point of view, I think I speak for, for most people in Bally Bay, um, there was absolutely no ill feeling towards him and, and it even isn't to this stage. Like, so, you know, it's one of those things that happen and everybody moves on. The, uh, I, I, I presume lifting the cup and as Shane talks about the celebrations afterwards are going to be stuff that lives with you forever but when Reno Neal pings in what looks like a wonder goal at the start of the game and they're massive favourites everybody I think watching is going alright it's going to be one of those days where you know this cross could be the new cross and uh, and it wasn't to be so like in a you know, ultimately the Ulster campaign is not successful but that game must stand as something that you will remember for a long time yeah, it is. Um, there's no doubt about it. As I, as I mentioned earlier, um, Ballybay hadn't and haven't won a, a championship, uh, an Ulster Club championship game in our history. So I suppose we, that was some, something for us that we were targeting that we, we really wanted to, to you know, get across. You know, set a new standard for the club. Um, but I, I guess, like every game this year, you, you, you watch and you, you respect every team. You, you do your due diligence in terms of analysis. Um, you know, we, we had. We all of that happening all throughout the championship, and we we did the same across McGlen. And you know, yes, they, across this have, have the tradition. You know, all Ireland club titles, Ulster club titles. You know, huge huge tradition. But we we realised that this cross team were, were possibly just starting out on their journey. Like, and that a lot of those players would have won their first Armagh County title. So we really focused in on the team uh, that is cross McGlen today, rather than maybe the history and the tradition that they have. And it was all about trying, just trying to deliver a performance after that, and we just we got it right on the evening. Um, I'm sure Cross McGlen will have some regrets, maybe in, in in terms of their performance. But for us, we delivered a big performance, and it was enough to get us over the line on the day. It was a special evening, really enjoyable, um, and yeah, it, it's, it's it's something that got us into the next round of the Ulster Club. Like a, a week later, it was a little bit tight turnaround, especially for um, the likes of myself, but and, and, and a few others. You know, there was a few niggles come into uh, the week that what you know we were trying to prepare for Kilku, but you know that's just the way it was. We we, we played in the preliminary round. Uh, you have to uh, expect maybe the games to come thick and fast in the competition. It's a super super comp- competition. It's the Ulster Club, and. Um, you really are um, tested to the, to the to your level, you know, and, and the pace of the game. It's it's almost intercounty. Like it brought me back to those days, you know, the pace of the game. So, you know, it's brilliant to be part of that this year. And um, to get that win was was good for the club. I guess we just all have to go back now and, and assess where we're at and, and realise that we're not at the level of the the Kilcoos who who are winning all Ireland titles. It's mad that you you had to wait this long, Paul, to play a an Ulster club game a senior club game as well because I know you were captain when Ballybay last won the county title 10 years ago but you were on honeymoon for the for the game against Kilku that year yeah yeah so that just uh, was bad luck again um, we won the championship in 2012 and um, I got married a few weeks after that and of course the honeymoon was booked and, and I suppose it was just one thing that I wasn't prepared to uh, to you know forego in, in terms of you know you put everything into football you do you, you, you you do whatever it takes, um, but I, I had made a decision that you know around the time of my wedding and the honeymoon, I wasn't going to ask my wife Donna to to put that off or whatever at the time. And yeah, maybe it's a regret. Maybe it's something that I, I, no, I, I would. It's not a regret. I, <laughs> I was going to say, careful now, she's no, listening. No. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, the bit no, we I clip up and are like, hang on, <laughs> you're no, in trouble. I, I, I'm pretty clear. Um, I wouldn't do it any differently if I was asked to do the same again. It would be the same uh, result, and that's just the way it happened. Uh, but it was 
just very lucky uh, to get the opportunity to play. Like you know, I, I could have you know maybe went on and, and played you know with Bally Bay, not won another championship, and, and not got the opportunity to play. So as, as as many club players do, you just have to take take what's given to you and accept what you what you get. But you know, I've been lucky. You know, this year has been brilliant uh, to, to experience uh, another club uh, championship, a senior championship with Bally Bay at 39. Um, yeah, it's it's really satisfying and it gave me the opportunity to play also the club and. I certainly enjoyed that evening in in, um, in Craw or in, in Armagh. Maybe not so much uh, last Sunday in Clonus, but look, you know, it is what it is. Do you look at Do you look at uh, Vinnie Corey getting the Monaghan job now? And, and are, are you optimistic about the? I guess the next year or two with with Monaghan because he's a man you played with for for many years in the in the white and blue. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I know Vinnie really well. Uh, good friends with him, played with him for many years. Um, it's it's a it's a huge task uh, for Vinny, but he, he takes he takes on the role with everybody behind him. Uh, I, I don't think there's one person in Monaghan is is not totally behind Vinny Corey now at this stage and his management team and the, the, the senior team. Um, I think it's, it's it's been well sort of notified over, over the last couple of seasons that Monaghan, you know, they've been expected to make the drop in Division One. It hasn't happened. Um, they're probably still expected to make the drop this year. You know, you know that there's still some transitioning. You know, we're unsure still of some guys who's coming back, who's not. But there's been a lot, a lot of good work being done in Monaghan um, it, at, at development stage. You know, all the development squads. You know, they've really been a good structure in place over the last number of years. Um, there's no what you might call Conor McManus and Darren Hughes, Drew Wiley's coming. You know that we're aware of, but we're going to have to give those guys a chance uh, just to, to really shine. And no better place to do it than in Division One. And it's going, to, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a difficult start for 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 Vinny. And his and his team, but you know, I I wouldn't back against them, and I'm you know I certainly I'm not one that's expecting Monaghan to drop any any mad in, in in any mad way over the next couple of seasons. I think uh, the standards have been very high within the group um, over the last number of years, and I think those standards will be held high, and the, the 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 team will be in a good position just to go and perform, and hopefully that 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 will uh, bode well for Monaghan. Finally, for me, Paul, there was a there was a great photo, and and you'll have you'll have seen this. Bally Pierce brother have posted the photo on Twitter, and we have it on the screen there. That every senior championship winning captain there's been from Bally Bay. So you see Paddy McCarney on the left, who managed or was captain 53, 54, 57, and fifty nine. Sean McCarney beside him for nineteen sixty nine. Jim O'Hanlon sixty two. The current captain this year, then Owen McCarney, yourself, who was captain ten years ago, and John Joe McCarney from nineteen eighty seven. Like that's a that kind of sums up what club is about the community feel, and I know it's only a small enough parish of what four thousand odd people, Bally Bay, but a photo like that kind of sums up what it's all about, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's got um, a lot of attention since since the county final, and it is. It's I don't think anybody can deny it's a really nice photograph. It's it's a nice uh, moment for the club, um, and it's something to savour uh, over the the years ahead. Um, and I, I knew, you know, if, if you if you have some sort of you know superstitions about you. Um, you know, we us having Owen and McCarney, uh, you know, captain in the side. It's only something you can talk about after the game and after you've actually got over the line. But there was something good happening when when Owen was uh, selected to be captain this year, and it's amazing actually. You know that family. You know, Paddy and Sean would be brothers, and then John Joe. Uh, Paddy's son and, and Owen Chanjo's son um, you know all senior winning captains for Valley Bay it's an amazing record like you know and then you have Jim and myself um, coming in but yeah it's a special one it's a special photograph it was a great opportunity at the time I think Mark McAvinney uh, we have to give credit to him he he picked it out on the day you know started to, to rally around and he, he mentioned it to myself and I thought it was a good opportunity and yeah it's it's one that we should all be very proud of and as a club 
Um, and you're right, it, that's what the club is all about. It's 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 the tradition and looking back at teams that does, of old and you know being able to replicate what those guys have done um, in the last few weeks has has been brilliant. And yeah, it's it's uh, it's a great it's a, it's a great achievement and one that we've we've enjoyed over the last few weeks and intend to savour it over the winter months. Well, enjoy it. You well deserve, Paul. Great to have you with us this morning. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Okay, guys, thank you. That's Paul Finley there. Uh, we use the word legend a lot on the show, but that's uh, definitely a Monaghan football legend. I think the one of the, the the first moment I ever ran onto the Croke Park pitch, and the first moment I probably cried from happiness in sport, and I think Tommy Rooney actually cried in, in sadness, was the 2009 National Football League Division 2 final. All oh, right. Monaghan against Meath, like Meath, Sean Boylan's Meath against Banty McEnany's Monaghan. Monaghan two points down, they're given a free from about 30, 35 yards out. Um, referee tells Paul Finley this is the last kick of the game. So he does what, what any player's going to do, two points down. Just that lovely silky left boot, that stride, lobbed the ball straight into the box, perfectly weighted, and the Meath defender, was it Mark Ward, I think maybe, tried to push the ball over the bar, and of course Meath win by a point. He accidentally pushes the ball behind him. Now it barely touches his hand, Paul Finley claims the goal, but um, scenes of uh, just rapturous Monaghan fans running onto the pitch, Division 2 title, it was the first silverware Monaghan had won in a long time. Looking, have they been relegated since? Uh, they actually were. About right. 2013 was the, is the stint now, the, the last stint. So that was a, that was the start a, quite, of it, though. Quite a moment. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. OTBAM brought you live each morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Now, during the ad break, you're going to hear Karen Duggan, Emma Byrne, and our own Kathleen McNamee on the latest episode of Koi Gig. This week, they were joined by Professor Joanne Parsons of the University of Manitoba to discuss the impact of ACL injuries on female footballers. The Koi Gig pod on OTB. Is in association with Cadbury FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. We're back after the break with Duncan McMath, director of The Phenomenon, Ronaldo. OTB AM. Right, if you want to get in touch, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number and uh, you can always leave a comment on the YouTube stream. So youtube.com forward slash off the ball if you hit subscribe. At any stage, we go live, we'll let you know about it. So I'm delighted to say we have Duncan McMath with us. He's the director of the new Ronaldo documentary. Duncan, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, guys. How are you doing? How has the response been? You've, you've put the film out into the uh, the public sphere. Um, this, I guess, is the most uh, slightly um, bit where you've got a bit of trepidation, where everybody starts to see the movie. What's the response been like so far? Yeah, t- to be honest, uh, fantastic. Um yeah, just the the comments coming in have just been very very positive. I'm yet to I'm yet to read a, a negative one, <laughs> so so that's uh, it's it's been really nice. But but I'll be honest with you, it wasn't re- nearly as nerve nerve wracking as when we took the film to to show Ronaldo. That was kind of the make or break moment because although he didn't have editorial control, he um, his opinion was obviously vital, um, and we'd agreed obviously that we take it into account. And we took it to to show him a couple of months ago in London. Uh, he was filming a Nike ad for, for the World Cup um, and we, we rented a cinema space, showed him the film. He turned up with a couple of his mates, his agent, his, his, his wife, um, his, his, his entourage. And we put the film, he, t- he said to me before, oh, I'm nervous. I said, oh, you're bloody nervous. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm quaking here, um, shaking. Um, and and we, we watched the film with him. And he came out in tears and he, and he looked at me and he says, I, I can't, I can't even talk. I can't, I, I can't, I can't tell you how good it was. He, he said he cried three times and um, the client was there and asked him if he wanted us to make any changes. And he said he wouldn't change a second. So, you know, that was, that was the best review I'll ever get, I think. Wow. 
that's class. Yeah. That was cool, yeah. So this nervousness is, is totally fine. What? So <laughs> walk us through that bit, will you? Where it's like uh, the lights are going down and are you looking at him? Are you just looking forward the whole time going, I'm not going to look at him, not going to look at him. Can you hear him crying during the movie? Are you like, oh, this, is he crying because he hates it? Is it? What's that bit like? Yeah, no, I was, whenever we've had these these screenings, I sort of sit in the back and I like to watch people watching it. Um, and yeah, you just you just want them to laugh at the right times um, and, and be emotional at the right times. To be, to be honest, the cinema was pretty dark, so I couldn't really see his facial expressions and he had his back to me. But I mean you can hear a pin drop throughout the the 90 minutes, which is always a good thing. And I remember we, um, he's, he's a real pro. He's a, he's a lovely guy, which I think comes across in the, in the film, but he's a real pro as well. And we, and we, um, we produced El Presidente, which is the, the six part series about him at rail via the lids. And to start off with, you know, we, we hadn't sold the series to anyone. We went to him and his agents with the idea. And they basically said, listen, we'll open the doors, film it. Let us see episode one. Um, and we'll make a decision. So again, that was that was quite nerve wracking when we showed him episode one and, and we took it to Madrid to show him that. And I'll, I'll never forget that he walked because we, we've shown the film and, and, and previous films and series to a lot of people. And and the mobile phone is so frustrating. And if, if you're showing someone a film and, and their mobile phone is vibrating on the, on the table or they're kind of glancing at it every now and again, it, it's, it's really off putting as, as a filmmaker. And I remember we, we showed him episode one of El Presidente. He walked in. He sat down. He turned his phone off, put it upside down on the table, pushed it away from him, and he was glued to the screen for 40 minutes. Um, and, and it was very similar when we showed him the film, you know. It was, it, we just had his entire attention for, for that 90 minutes, and, and he loved it. And, and I'm gutted that I wasn't in Brazil for, for, the, for the premiere because I'd love to have seen his mum's reaction as well because um, I don't know what you guys think, but I think, you know, she, she's, a, she's a star, and you can see in the film where he gets his charisma and his... Um, and his sense of humour from because she comes across brilliantly and she's great in the emotional moments, but she's also very funny at the end when she talks about um, seeing him after winning the World Cup and asking him what the hell he's done with his hair. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd love to have seen her reaction. That's that's another person I'd love to have watched watching the film. Yeah, she's definitely one of the characters that that, uh, that stands out, Duncan, for sure. I mean, it, it's it's mad. Like I was watching it last night and, and the tension you've built from the very outset in terms of 98 and and... For people who maybe aren't familiar with the story, they, they they will watch those opening scenes and be like, "Jesus, this is this is incredible!" Because you realise how big football is in Brazil. When you know, I think there's one moment at the start where one of the Brazilian reporters gets the official FIFA team sheet and he's like, "Turn that camera around so I can, you know, I need to tell the people of Brazil something." And this news that Ronaldo appears not to be in the starting eleven, like those moments must have been just quite. Um, it, it must be quite incredible to get that footage for starters. Oh, yeah, there's there's so much of that footage that when it came in, we were we were we were dancing in the editing suite. Um, but I mean that that's part of um, the success of this documentary that the the hours and hours and hours of archive footage that we've we've watched and you know there's obviously been a big team of producers working on this, a big team of of archive producers from all over the world and. And that's what's enabled us to get those kind of images that you're talking about. I mean, we, we looked at over 300 hours of of, of archive footage. Um, we've got got this footage from 80 different providers internationally. Um, we've looked at 2,500 different photos. You know, there's there's a lot of pre-production that's gone into this. And as you say, when you're digging that deep, you do find absolute gems. And and um, luckily for us as well. You know the the South Americans and especially in Brazil, football is is so huge 
and they they've got that little bit of drama as well you know you, you can't really imagine John Watson saying turn those cameras on me I want to speak to England you know that that comes with that kind of South American uh, Latino kind of um, style of broadcasting and definitely in moments like that uh, you know it was it was helpful like there's there's deep moments as well where, where like and that injury that um those moments where Ronaldo's in the the hotel room with Roberto Carlos before that on the afternoon of that 98 final and and he collapses and he's just he's clearly not well and it emerges that he's had some sort of a, a I guess a nervous breakdown of of sorts but like even yeah. when he's in modern day sitting there with Roberto Carlos and they're kind of trying to reflect on on what happened and all the conspiracy theories around it one of the lines that really stood out was he's talking about the mental health of athletes and he says we were like gladiators just thrown out into the arena and and that that's something that really stood out to me is they, they were just used and, and Ronaldo was this global phenomenon and he's just being used for his for his pure talent I totally agree and and that was that was that was really key and I'm really pleased you said that because um I think there's a scene early on which I'm sure you'll remember because it's very impactful when he comes out of an airport and he's he's 21 at that stage mm. he comes out of an airport and he's absolutely mobbed by press by fans you know, he, he can't move. He's got cameras in his face. Um, he's got journalists, mics being shoved in his face. He's got fans singing one, two, three, Ronaldo is our king. He gets bundled into a car and then the car can't move because there's that many fans around him. And, and you can just hear them revving the engine, trying to get away. And for us, that's that's on screen for 52 seconds. And that was really, really important right at the beginning because we've, we've built up to this moment where he's the best player in the world and, and you've seen him... Um, doing his thing at, at Cruzeiro, then at PSV, and then then at Barca, and then at Inter, and then suddenly you see the impact of that fame. Um, and I think for a lot of people watching, you know, we've we've all worked with footballers um, for for many years, and 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 we know that it's not all glitz and glamour. But I think nowadays they've got it a lot easier than than they did twenty years ago. I think probably Ronaldo was the prototype of the modern day superstar footballer. But at that stage, they didn't have uh, the entourage around him to protect him. He didn't have the bodyguards. He he wasn't protected. He didn't live in the bubble that the, the modern day footballers live in. And I'm not saying that it's not difficult nowadays. And, and, I'm, and I know that the pressure gets, gets the players, but you don't see footage like that of, the Cristiano Ronaldo's of the Messi's, you know, they're bundled into a, into a car, taken to the back entrance, taken up into their, their, their hotel rooms. You know, it's, it's, it's just not the same. And I wanted to make that, that was very important to me because early on in the interviews with Ronaldo, we, we spoke about the pressure and even the fact that, you know, we call the film the phenomenon, but actually when you watch it, he doesn't like the nickname. Um, And early on you hear him say, it was just added pressure that I didn't need at that stage. I was 21 years old. I just got to to Europe and people were calling me the phenomenon and a phenomenon can't fail, can't stop scoring goals. Um, so the whole of part one of the documentary is very much a build up of this pressure just to show uh, the, the level of pressure that are on these these footballers and especially on Ronaldo at that, t- at that time at such a young age. And then the reason for what happened in 1998, which, which in itself was... I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased you enjoyed that scene and, and we really enjoyed putting it together because I don't think it's ever been put together kind of chronologically as we did before. But that was a real challenge because obviously none of that footage exists. You know, you hear all these um, stories of what could have happened the day of, of the 1998 final and 
I, I don't know about you guys, but for, for years and years, I believed it was mind games. I really believed that it was it was Brazil um, kind of trying to trying to mess with France before that final. Um, and then you start hearing things about a fit and then you start to hear, hearing things about illness and an injury and, and you don't really know what to believe. But to hear Ronaldo basically say, as, as you've just said, that it, that it was a nervous breakdown, um, you know, it's 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 really it's really impactful. Um, and it just shows the pressure that he was under at that young age. Uh, here's the thing: like, there's a good chance, as is documented in the in the movie, that like the redemption arc doesn't reach its proper conclusion. That he doesn't win the World Cup in 2002 because he's not even part of the World Cup squad because the people weren't managing his injury properly afterwards. Like, this could have been one of the great tragedies in sport, uh, sporting tragedy, obviously, um, as opposed to this incredible comeback story. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no. And, and that's what makes it such an incredible redemption story. I think if, if he'd have, you know, if it wasn't for the injuries, if, if it's still a, it's still an incredible story with with just what happened in nineteen. The fact the fact that you know six 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 hours before um, the the World Cup final, this guy's being rushed to hospital. Um, in itself is an incredible story. The fact that he kind of checks himself out of the hospital, tells them to drive him to the the stadium walks into the change room and, and says, I'm playing. And, and Zagallo changes the starting 11 45 minutes before kickoff. You know, it's, that, that in itself is an incredible story. Um, and the fact that they go on to lose and that he's blamed, et cetera, et cetera. But then the redemption story is, is even greater. And I, and I think possibly the greatest in, in football and, and one of the greatest in sport because of what happens afterwards, because of those injuries. And, and not just because he picks up an injury and um, and gets better and then goes to the World Cup. But he picks up, you know, two back-to-back injuries. Experts in America are telling him, knee surgeons that are, are world-renowned are telling him that he'll never play football again. Um, and not only does he play football again, he goes to the World Cup, he scores eight goals in seven games, he's he's a top scorer at the World Cup and, and he wins Brazil's fifth um, championship. I mean, the, the story is incredible. I've always said from the start, like, I, I really wanted to put up at the beginning of the film, I wanted to put up um, a graphic saying this is a true story, um, just to kind of reflect. You know, not it's not based on a true story. You know, this what you're about to watch kind of defies belief um, because it is one of the greatest redemption stories of all time. I feel unbelievably fortunate um, and lucky to to have directed it and to have worked with Ronaldo and and worked with this story because it's it's just something you feel like you. You can't. You couldn't script it. It feels like a Hollywood screenplay, and yet it's real. And you've got the protagonist from the time basically telling you the story. And that's one of the reasons as well that we wanted to use so much archive footage because I wanted to just show that this is this is real. And 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 then going back to the idea of putting this is a true story at the start of the film, which unfortunately the clients weren't too keen on, but just the fact that you know you're watching archive from the time that's telling this story I, I really wanted to, it to be an immersive experience that um, we use as much archive as possible and, and you'll see very few talking heads I think it's important to see talking heads at times because um, you know there's, there's real emotion there but they're never on screen for very long because we wanted to throw you back into 1994 and then take you to 98 and then gradually kind of bring you on that journey with us from 1998 to 2002 and as you say it's there's real tension and, and Ronaldo kind of reflects that in, in his memories of that time. There's real tension as to whether or not he'll go to 2002. It's, it's not, it's not made up, you know, it's true. And you've got, 
Scolari, the manager, saying that he thought that at the time there was a 95% chance that Ronaldo wouldn't make it. Um, and then obviously last minute he does. And, and luckily for, for us and for the story and for Ronaldo and for the Brazilians and for football, you know, he makes it in 2002 and, and the rest is history. When you talk about the fact that it's, it's kind of Hollywood and you've got your protagonist, Duncan, I guess a good Hollywood film needs its Cruella de Vil and, and Hector Cooper. I mean, he's the, he's the bad boy. He's the villain of this, of this entire yeah. film. And I think like, there's a point at which Ronaldo, I think, says he was the worst coach I ever had. Uh, right. You know, and doing four kilometre runs at the start of each training session. He's not getting in the, t- the inter-team before that 2002 World Cup. He really comes across. And then there's, of course, the whole Argentina versus Brazil dynamic as well and the rumours. But uh, he comes across as a real, real uh, villain in the movie, Hector Cooper. He does. We always talked about two two baddies, two villains in this film. And, and one was the knee. And we really wanted to, to kind of reflect how frustrating that knee was and, and that it, if it wasn't for that knee and so many people have said that to me over the last few weeks and months and, and just reading the comments on social media um, since the film went out people saying you know if it wasn't for that bloody knee he would have you know he would have been the greatest of all time and I think that's probably that's probably very true and, and I think he's right up there anyway despite almost four years where he where he barely played um, but but yeah the other the other um the other villain is of, is of course Hector Cooper, and and you just it, those four years, you know, we've always we always talk about this film as a film of contrasts because with every up there's a down for Ronaldo during these these four years. Everything until 1998 had been a kind of gradual um, journey of of success um, to the to the extent that he he wins the the Ballon d'Or at the age of 21, and he's going into the World Cup in 98 as the greatest player on the planet, and then suddenly. You get what happens that the fit um, just before the final. Um, then you get the first knee injury and, and the fact that in, in that first season back, Inter are quite poor and, and the fans are getting on their back. Then you get the second knee injury straight after that. And then after that, of all managers to come and, to come and take charge of Inter, you get kind of this defensive, um, very pragmatic manager that doesn't want stars in his team. And you just think, you know, where, when's, when's he going to get a break, this guy? It's just... It's just bad news after bad news for Ronaldo until 2002. And then, and then in the film, one of my favourite lines is when his mum says, and that's when the story started to change, when, when Ronaldo finally gets picked for, for the squad in 2002. Because as a viewer, I wanted you to be able to relax at that point and think, OK, you know, we've, 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 we've spent sort of the last hour and a bit just being taken through this kind of, uh, this, this tension and this stress of, of what's been almost like you said almost a tragedy and then just at the last minute luckily there's there's um there's the success that comes from from being picked and going to the, the world cup and then and then winning it but yeah hector cooper's kind of is the last straw in that journey of tension and and disaster and it's just like you know crikey um ronaldo could have got just about any other manager and that last year before the world cup would have just been a smooth ride he'd have played plenty of games he'd have been managed right and he'd have you know, got back into the world World Cup squad without too much tension and, and and worry. But in the end, you know, it's right it's right to the to the to the wire as to whether he'll go or not. And and that's certainly down to, to Hector Cooper and, and we do build up that that villain status that he has. Um I have to say as well that there is a line from Hector Cooper which helps me enormously and, and certainly helps my guilt um to, to set him up as a, a as the villain because Hector Cooper himself says you know, if being unpleasant to Ronaldo works, then, you know, that's fine with me. And you think, right, well, 
that's that's enough to set him up as a villain I think yeah it definitely it definitely works um, it, one last thing the conspiracy theories about Nike forcing him to play and all that kind of stuff from 98 uh, he, I know he's talked about it before but as you say you're the first kind of people who've actually done this whole thing chronologically and you know gone to the source himself we can blow that conspiracy theory up now is that is that official do you think oh yeah 100% yeah that's that, that that's it's, it's, it's certainly not true and, and I tell you what um, researching this and I don't know if you remembered and, and if you noticed because at one stage during that um, conspiracy theories edit there's a there's a headline that comes up from a from a Brazilian newspaper that says um, Nike paid off Brazil says Edmundo and there was a time where Edmundo was recorded in a Brazilian bar telling a friend that he thought that Nike was behind the fact that Ronaldo um, ended up playing and that obviously um, that recording then got sold to the press and that went massive um, in Brazil, but then, you know, that was recanted by by Edmundo, and and he kind of said, you know, I was I was I'd had a few drinks in a bar, and 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 it, and, uh, it meant nothing. And he was brought up in front of the court as well when Ronaldo was was forced to go to, well, it was it was the the Brazilian Parliament and explain what happened. Edmundo was there too, um, and 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 did at the time say that 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 wasn't true, but that that certainly didn't help. Um, but no, I think there's absolutely no no truth in it and and you know when when you're digging into these stories and you're interviewing journalists who were working on that on that story at the time you know that the consensus is that why on earth would nike want an athlete who's not well to go out and represent them you know it wasn't it wasn't an image that nike want to be associated with ronaldo losing the world cup final and and being ill and potentially being accused of of making him play you know it's, it doesn't make any sense from a commercial um, perspective and 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 definitely there, there was you know there was there was no truth in it. That that scene though was quite funny. It was quite difficult to get Ronaldo to be serious because he he just kept talking about all these ridiculous conspiracy theories and he and he was really laughing at the fact that you know he, he was telling about us about all these all these theories that he heard and, and one of them was that you know that there there was even an agreement between the Brazilian and the and the French governments that they would let Brazil win the World Cup in exchange for a certain amount of money and you just think. Crikey, there's, you know, there's there's nothing that people wouldn't say. Um, and as Ronaldo rightly points out, it was the start of the internet. So any little theory was being published, and people were reading it and believing it. And well, and, you know, it's, uh, imagine if Twitter had been around. Like. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Well, he himself says it's the start of fake news, so... There you go, there you go. Uh, it all comes back to that. Um, last thing then, Duncan, if anybody else was on uh, BBC4 already, if people want to go and see the film, what's the best place to get their hands on it? Um, well, um, it's on iPlayer. So, um, yeah, that's that, that's that's where to get it in terms of um, on the BBC um it's it's on the zone in, in in other territories around the world, and, and it's on Globo in in Brazil, which has been a, been a huge success. Um, but yeah, in um, in the UK, it's on it's on iPlayer. Well, listen, you've done justice to uh, the phenomenon. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. We wish you the very best of luck with it. Thanks a million. Thank you guys very much. It's uh, Duncan McMath, the director of the new Ronaldo movie. Um, I think we need a VPN to watch iPlayer, do we? I think potentially. You, yeah, you, you might get it in monitor. Or have they, re- have they re- reduced the... Was still... there some kind of recent thing where they... Anyway, somebody somebody in the comments will let us know. People about will find a way to watch it, you know. 
Uh, 8.38 this morning, OTBAM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. John Duggan, good morning to you. Long time no see. How are you? I'm Shane. How are we doing, lads? Well, John. Keeping well? Not bad. How are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, good, good. Good trip? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah. I yeah. uh, was in the UK for a week, saw Spurs, Arsenal and Charlton. Uh, uh, John, the Charlton game. And saw the Houses of Parliament as well. Of course. And saw the Old Bailey. Um, the Charlton game was mad because it was uh, two all going into stoppage time, and Ipswich scored twice, and then all the fans around me left, and then Charlton scored twice. <laughs> so it was four all draw. Wow, that was good fun at the Valley, which is a lovely ground. Is it? Yeah, it's down by Greenwich there, lovely part of the world. So you can get a little boat trip up the Thames, uh, an Uber boat, and lovely bars around the Greenwich area, and quite a nice, quite not too far to get to to get to Charlton. So I kind of wanted to go to one of these kind of local grounds. Um, which I did, as well as seeing Spurs and Arsenal as well. And then was over in the States for the Breeders' Cup. Yeah, you saw some top-quality racing. Ah, lads, like it's, uh, I'd recommend it to anybody um, who loves a bit of racing and has a bit of spare coin in their pocket uh, once in their life, maybe to get to the Breeders' Cup, because it moves around America and a keen land in Kentucky. It was, uh, it was a real privilege to be there. Aidan O'Brien, three winners. Not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, European horses won six of the seven turf races, and then you have the dirt races. But just the experience... And the bell going off, and the stalls opening, and the commentary and the the concession stands and everything. Was it hot? It was really hot. Right. On a real global warming situation on the first day, uh, Friday November, and I'm in this big lagging jacket because I'm bringing my life around with me in a in a big puffy jacket and just melting in the sun. Uh, and then the second day was a bit bit better, but um, just just an amazing experience. Uh, just to see how would I describe it. I just think Americans do things really, really well. I think they, they have a psychology of scale and then they build the standards around the scale. And I could see that at Keeneland because, wow, you could really feel that the, you could really f- smell uh, in inhaling the money. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, uh, this wasn't ostentatious wealth. This was real wealth. And I go, oh my God, this is wealth here. This is the Board of King stuff. I've been to, so I've been to Indiana around this time of year a few years ago, but that, that whole area, Kentucky, Indiana, that Midwest kind yeah. of, uh, there's just a vibe around that that part of America as well. I suppose it is Bible Belt territory, isn't it? Moonshine. Yeah. Moonshine yeah, well, it's bur- bourbon country. had a lot of bourbon uh, sampling. And it's just fascinating country because it's all about cars. You need a car to get from here to the end of the, the road. And uh, I was in a restaurant area. I was in a holiday inn. And there must be about 25 restaurants. And you've got the big, like, long, tall poles telling where the restaurants are. And then you go into your restaurants and the dollar's obviously very strong. You're going to burn a hole in your pocket with 20% tipping and over everything there. But I just went into Dick's Sporting Goods. <laughs> and it's just like this massive warehouse with everything you want. Like uh, golf clubs, uh, American football, baseball, every kind of jersey under the sun. Utterly spotless, pristine. And you're thinking, these guys have got standards here. And it's just utterly fascinating to see it. You could kill a few hours in Dick's Sporting Goods. Ah, oh, you would. Uh, like even got there testing your wedges and all this kind of thing. It's just kind of, It's just a bit of a fairy tale, really. Mad. Didn't see any guns. Uh, maybe that's probably right. All right, that's uh, yeah, that is surprising. Kentucky Fried Chicken. No chicken. A bit of diner food. Good, good burgers and all that kind of thing. But um, you have to, you have to. Like I know diner food is diner food, but you still have to go. You it's do. Like, yeah, um, I had the country fried steak, um, which is like a sirloin steak wrapped in breadcrumbs, a couple of eggs, uh, home fries, and a couple of orange juices. And you're thinking, okay, and the orange juices cost eight dollars. Yeah, <laughs> and then you're going to realise, and I've got to go. The, the lady's very nice who's uh, serving you, and you got to tip her then twenty percent, and you realise it's fifty bucks down. The country fried steak, so the white gravy on top of yeah, it. Yeah, the bacon gravy. Yeah, 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 yeah. lovely. Um, 
it, it looks better than it tastes. What um, was it? Decadent and depraved. I know that was the the Derby as opposed to the Breeders' Cup. But it, does it uh, live up to the um, Hunter S. Thompson stuff? Uh, well, it was funny because the night before I was invited to a, um, a kind of a pre-Breeders' Cup event. I was lucky enough to be invited. And I, was, I don't know, it was like Sodom and Gomorrah without the, debaut- without the hedonism off, off the scale. It was, you know, buses, like about a thousand people shipped in on buses to this farm. It was like South Fork and steroids. Right. And uh, bands playing, free food, free drink, and you're kind of going, oh my God, what is going on here? Who's going to tap me on the shoulder and go, who the hell are you? Uh, so there's a bit of that going on. Um, hedonism, no, like there's a thing called the Keenland Breeze, which I discovered, which is uh, Maker's Mark bourbon, orange liqueur, orange juice, and ginger ale. And I tell you that can after a couple of them. Sorry, start again. So it's um, Keenland Breeze. Uh, That's the name of the drink. Yeah, yeah. Keenland is the race course in Lexington. So it's uh, Maker's Mark Bourbon. It's orange liqueur. It's orange juice, and then they mix it around, and then they top it up with a bit of ginger beer at the top. Oh, okay. And it is you feel after a couple of them, you're, you're pretty like you're about like um, Barton Miller has with the slushies. Um, I love America because uh, I love the way in America everybody just talks. You sit at the bar and everybody's just talking to each other. So I was on the way back through Washington and um, the flight was delayed until 20 to 1 in the morning and everything was closed at 10. So we were all just drinking at the bar, just talking to Americans, all going to Dublin and stuff. And it got to the stage where we got two hours to kill. So I, I, I had all my duty-free bourbon. I just took out the bourbon. We just, I just poured it around in the, uh, by the gate. <laughs> So that's that's the way the whole thing ends. Really. See, you're you're a novelty. You're novelty enough in in Kentucky. It's not like you're walking down, you know, Boston or or you know uh, Fifth Avenue in New York. You're, when you're in Kentucky, you're not. Although I guess with the horse racing, there's a few Irish over there, but you're still a bit of a novelty. Well, it's a small city, America, and I would have seen things over there uh, that I wouldn't have seen in New York or Atlanta or the other city I was in. You're just really seeing. You're just seeing kind of normal houses and the flags, but the cars, the cars, like you'd have a normal house with a massive SUV outside or a massive pickup truck. And they must have really good deals on cars over they there. They do, yeah. Mm. Uh, it's cars, cars. I was driving up the interstate and you thought like you've Cincinnati and you've um, uh, Knoxville on the signs. You kind of go, this is real America. Uh, and not in a kind of a, in a, in a, in a patronizing way where it's, um, you know, they're, that they're all from the South or anything like that. It's just real you know, real, real, real America. Like the the Kentucky Wildcats, I think, are the the sports team. But everybody's watching sports over there, guys. Mm-hmm. Went to the Holiday Inn bar um, on the Saturday night because it was just wrecked, and everybody's just sitting in the bar, all watching college football, all watching baseball because the World Series was on Houston. And mm. um, everybody's just watching sports, watching sports on their phones, cheering. And uh, it is really, it's it's an embedded culture, you know. Not many electric cars. It's all big. The bigger, the louder, the uh, well, the, won't the be worse a, for the planet. Well, the well, better. There won't be after the next few weeks of Twitter, anyway, will there? Well, of course. Yeah, it's uh, it's everything's bigger and better and well, it's not standards. Be- sorry, not better, but they have standards. Bigger. They've got standards about service. It's a service country, and, and maybe there's an insincerity to that, um, but it's it's the way to do things. Uh, maybe sincerity is overrated. What <laughs> yeah. what's going on, John? Well, the Irish women's cricket team lads have uh, earned a very first series win overseas. Brilliant result today, beating Pakistan uh, by 34 runs in their T20 match in Lahore, winning the series 2-1, 167 for four from their innings. They bowled at Pakistan for 133. Gabby Lewis scoring 71. Well done, the Irish women's cricket team. Brilliant performance. Uh, we've got the DP World Tour Championship starting tomorrow. Rory McIlroy, Shane Larry in that. Really funny comments from Rory telling uh, Greg Norman to get off the stage yesterday. Um, there's always good stuff from Rory. 
Rory. Gary Hurley and John Murphy hoping to get their tour cards today. Hurley with a better chance than Murphy. Uh, France, uh, Christopher Nkuku uh, out of the World Cup with a leg injury. Uh, Josh Cullen and Katie McCabe winning the Player of the Year awards. I don't know how you're feeling about Sunday, lads. Qatar, have you watched FIFA Uncovered? It's excellent on Netflix. Yet to see it. Heard it's very, very good. Very, very good. Um, four-part series on the origins of FIFA, Sepp Blatter, and uh, the corruption and everything, and then the awarding of the World Cup to, to Qatar, and uh, everybody's in it. Everybody's interviewed in it, and it's definitely worth watching, but I uh, don't know how you both feel about it. A little bit nasty, to be honest, but um, I'll watch it. I'll watch it with reticence, I think, like most people. Um, and then when it's all over, we'll have... Have you a feel about it, wash it off. Yeah. Um, I feel like I can separate the fact that uh, the footballers who have this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to play in a World Cup have been forced into this situation. I really hope many of them, as many of them as possible, raise awareness. I hope that as many of them as possible cause trouble for the Qatari authorities. Um, I still will watch the football, but at the same time, like you can't now not be aware of the fact that sport has been pillaged by corporate interests and countries and politics like you can't watch sport anymore really and not think somebody somewhere is using this to their own ends with with few obvious exceptions you know grassroots stuff for sure but um like all of the time we spend watching and cheering is um is in some way compromised so at the same time i'm still going to be amazed i really hope leo messi manages to achieve his crowning glory I hope if Brazil win it that it's Vinicius as opposed to Neymar I just can't stomach Neymar like I, you know I, so when we, we've just we've just been talking about the, the real Ronaldo for like, phenomenon yeah there is no connection in my mind between Neymar and Ronaldo they're not like he is not an inheritor of this like no if you show pony fancy tricks and yeah very effective footballer scored loads of goals but not, not for me. Well, I, I, I see Messi almost as a kind of a, a villain figure now as well. I, I almost don't want him to win. He's been taking his Qatari money for for long enough. He has, he has been taking his Qatari money. The most depressing thing of all of this that I've felt in the last while is Gianni Infantino cozying up and flashing his eyelashes at MBS and Saudi Arabia and the prospect that we could have a World Cup in 2030 in Saudi Arabia. That I just find that concept that that just so depressing. And I really hope it goes to Uruguay and Argentina, but I fear that it won't. And that's where, as you say, Jared, like the whole thing now, it's, it's, it's now it's just taken over by power. Yeah, but the football hopefully will amaze us at the same time. Like, I, I do think it's possible to have a kind of, I'm capable of having more than one thought at the same time. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah like Russia, having been there, um, the World Cup I saw as a celebration of humanity and I could really compartmentalise the fact that the ordinary Russian people were lovely and uh, it was a celebration of, of all these types of cultures, despite the fact that you've got an evil Kremlin that has now ended up in a genocidal war. Um, you can still separate the two. We'll go back over and have some bourbons in Kentucky in 2026. Ah, look, the um, uh, bourbon, it, like all these whiskeys, you only realise, and you know, I tasted whiskey for 20 years ago, this is just mocha whiskey. I, like, who can drink whiskey? It just burns your mouth off and it doesn't really taste like, it doesn't taste like anything. But then when you have a nice one, then you go, oh, okay, well, that's why people drink whiskey. <laughs> right. You on that note, anything else? All right, lads, no. <laughs> Good stuff. That was See great. Again. Bye-bye. Uh, John Duggan with us this morning and, of course, every morning on uh, Newstalk Breakfast and also, of course, uh, Riding High in the JNLR with sensational figures on a Saturday. Great team. <laughs> yeah.
Uh, and to you, Shane. Thank you. Absolutely. Good numbers. Very good numbers. We're happy. They were unbelievable numbers. Congratulations. Yeah. Good I, I hope you all went out and celebrated. Uh, if you had to do it, we'll uh, do it between our I, I did enough of that before I went on all this. Yeah. <laughs> we'll let you okay. on a cover for a couple of weeks first. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can drop us a line 087 180 is the WhatsApp number, or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. And OTBAM is brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. Let's turn our attention to uh, England and how they're going to get on in the World Cup. I'm delighted to say Clive Allen is with us. Clive, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. I'm well, thank you. And you? Um, well, look, we're, we're interested in how this football is going to play out. Uh, what's your level of hope slash expectation for this England team at the moment? Well, I think the uh, the... Group draw has been favourable. They're in a group with uh, USA, Iran and Wales that they can certainly, I think, first and foremost, if they can win, fantastic for the knockout stages. Um, then I think that could work as well, as long as we win the group. So there's a there's a path already there if um, if we get the right results. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a really fascinating group stage. But I think that um, they've come into it not in the best of form. They'll they'll need to get off to a good start. Um, and as we know, once you get a good start, normally the ball starts rolling. Everybody, um, everybody gets behind the England team, and and uh, we we start dreaming. There's been some talk about what formation Gareth Southgate might use, and I don't know if it's again more trying to manifest change, but it's unlikely he's going to make significant changes, is it, over the course of this tournament? From what we've seen in the last two tournaments, which have served him so well. No, I think uh, you're absolutely right. He will stick to the, the tried and trusted uh, players, first and foremost, the ones that have, have certainly done well for him in the tournaments. They might not be in good form with their clubs or particularly um, prominent with their clubs, Maguire as an example. But I think that um, you know Gareth will, will know what he has. He knows the players. He's worked with them for a long time now. So I think that um, you know he will, he will go for the ones that he can trust in. It's it's one of the things that um, coming from Ireland we we know that you don't actually have the opportunity to always pick players who are in brilliant form and players rise to the occasion in international football many times particularly in in a good team dynamic. Um, I, it's it the corollary to that though is that if Harry Maguire starts and makes mistakes early, he'll get absolutely slaughtered in the press and that'll lead to trouble. So it's very high pressure for Harry Maguire. How does Southgate relieve a little bit of that pressure and make it easier for him to play something close to his best football? Well, I think just just confiding in him that he believes in him. He knows that he's he's produced in the in the tournaments before, um, and I think he'll emphasise all those factors. Um, certainly, lots of positives and, and very few, if any, negatives. And um, you know, Gareth's played there himself. He's had he's had um, incredible press for missing penalties in big competitions. So. He, he's been there, he knows or he will understand the way that Harry Maguire's feeling. It's difficult, isn't it? Like, and It's difficult, I think, for England fans at the moment to feel too much hope, given that they're just a little bit anxious about so many of the players being a little bit, just a tick off, in some cases, their best form, and in Maguire's case, like his best form has deserted him. Yeah, but I do think we've got a lot of players who are very exciting, very much looking forward to a World Cup. You look at some young talent, Foden, Bellingham. Um, obviously, Madison's been added to the to squad. Grealish, I think, um, has the ability to, to be a star in this World Cup. You have a prolific goal scorer in Harry Kane. So the, the ingredients are there. I think 
defensively, yes, you would say um, if if England are vulnerable, it is perhaps how the defence play. But I think he'll go for Walker if fit, Stones and Maguire. So um, I think all the ingredients are there for for England to to get through the group and, and progress to the knockout stages. And, and, and obviously, once you're there, you never know. We've, we've, we've gone deep into the last couple of big competitions and I think that experience as well will hold us in good stead. Are there any omissions from the squad, Clive, that you feel are glaring? Like I know Ivan Tony stuck the hand up uh, after, after the squad was named and scored a couple of goals at the weekend, but is there anyone you think should be on the plane? Um, no, I have to say that I think that, um, you know, Gareth had a difficult problem in selecting and or, or leaving out not so much selecting but leaving out players um, and that was a nice problem for him to have I think it's just about the strongest England group uh, obviously barring the injuries where those players can't travel but um, Rhys James for example but um, no I think it's a very very well balanced squad is left back an area of concern? Like I know, to to win a World Cup or to go deep, you, you, I guess you have to have strength and depth. And, and look, injuries to Ben Chilwell, for example, haven't haven't helped that. But say, for example, Luke Shaw was to pick up a knock or whatever. There does seem to be a lack of depth there. I know Saka has played left wing back at times, and they can play Trippier over there. But he's of course going to be on the right flank if if Walker's not fit. So it could be an area of concern, maybe. Um, yeah, if there's one potential problem area, it might be at left back. But I think that uh, Shaw's done well for England. He was fantastic in the Euros. Um, obviously, you know, again, the whole competition, it, it can come down to some some injuries and players who are, who are missing during the competition. But I think that Trippier has been absolutely outstanding at Newcastle this season, can play on that left side. It's not his, his favourite side, but... He, I think he's such a good professional that um, Gareth will know that he could play him as a left left back or left wing back, de- depending on the on the uh, you know the system that he deploys. I was chatting to, to Neville Southall recently, and, and he was I wouldn't say confident, but um, certainly felt that Wales could maybe cause a, an upset of sorts against against England in the group. And you look at the United States squad as well, and you think that's fairly strong. And, and of course, they have the World Cup to host next time around as well. So. Are there banana skins? I know it's a ran up first, which you'd expect anything to get through, but could the US and, USA and uh, Welsh games prove tougher than people think, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. I think the USA squad is very strong. I think uh, you know they've gained a lot of experience, players playing throughout Europe, players playing in the Premier League, um, and I think that uh, they will come very confident. Um, that they will look at it first and foremost that they have a realistic opportunity of getting out of the group with, with England or Wales. I think they would feel that Wales are probably going to be their biggest danger. So, um, yeah, that's going to be that's going to be very, very interesting. Um, and it could come down to, obviously, England playing Wales in that last game and England needing to win and, and Wales needing something because the US will probably feel confident going into or could, have, could get themselves into a position going into the Iran game last of the group where, uh, where they will qualify. Uh, who's your back three? Um, well, all, all fit. Walker, Stones and Maguire would be my, my three choices um, with the wing-backs, Luke Shaw. And, um, and certainly on, on the right side, it, it's up for debate. But I think Trippier is in fantastic form at the moment. 
So that that would be the way I would go with a with a back five. I think that would be Gareth's preferred way. Certainly for the big games, anyway. He has sometimes used a back four for the games where they expect to be on the front foot and, and have more of the ball. But you do wonder if that's going to happen or if he'll just go straight away with the, the back three, given Maguire's form isn't great. Does that then mean that you don't get Bakayo Saka in the team further up? Or does he come in instead of, I don't know, maybe Raheem Sterling, whose form isn't great at the moment? Yeah, quite possibly. I think that is a choice that Gareth has to make between Saka and Sterling. I would have Rice and Bellingham as the, the two midfield players. Um, I'd like to see Foden playing off of off of Kane, Saka off the right. Um, and then I think, you know, the options are there for Gareth. I think we'll see it because I think we'll be strong in that first game. Um, Gareth knows he needs to get off to a winning start. Everybody knows that when you're playing in, um, obviously, a, a tournament situation. You want a three-point start to give you a great chance of, of obviously, one, winning the group and certainly progressing from the group. Is this England's strongest squad? I've sort of said, Clive, that some people believe it's their strongest squad since 2006, maybe. Yeah, I think there's a nice balance. I think there's there's lots of options. I think there's there's some versatility in, in where players can play. Um, and I do think there's a confidence about this England group. They know from experience now, from that the last World Cup campaign, the European Championships, that um, you know they can they can go deep into the competitions, and that in itself, I think, will uh, will mean that they'll 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 be quietly confident. I don't think they'll be overconfident, but they'll be quietly confident that they can go a long way in this World Cup. Yeah, that uh, that's the one thing, right? It's like, um, in a way, being beaten in a final. There's so much disappointment and there's a bit of negativity about the decision around the penalties and all that kind of stuff. But they reached the final of a, of a tournament. Like, you know, if if they go further, <laughs> they're obviously going to win something. But people will look back on that as, oh, we're building for something as opposed to, oh, that was the end. It's a disaster. I guess what I'm saying is that there's a massive overreaction to the 15 minutes or the five minutes of the penalty shootout versus actually reaching that point, which is, you know, obviously, as we know, further than England have gone in a very long time. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, you look at any successful teams, they, they, as they're building, they, they have these disappointments. They recover from them. They, they adapt and, and they adjust going forward. And then when they get into those situations, they call upon that experience. And I think this England group have done that from obviously World Cup semi-final to European Championships final. Um, and, and I think everything's been geared up the way that the whole group, not just the individuals, but the whole group, the whole England party, that staff as well, the manager, his staff, um, all the all the players that have been in the squads that have experienced it, all the development that have, has happened in a lot of these players through the young England groups, it's all been geared up to, to obviously go really well in this competition. Do you think win or lose that this is the end of the road from Southgate's perspective that actually... He's, he's done his time or do you f- see a way that actually he stays and takes the team through to the Euros? No, I can see him carrying on. I think that um, what he's done with this group of players and how it's developed has been has been spectacular. Um, the only the only disappointment is that we, we couldn't we couldn't win when we got to that Euro final. Um, but um, I think that um, he's done everything he possibly could as the England manager. He's developed himself as well which has been um, a great credit to him. If you'd asked most people twelve months ago, Clive, will, will Marcus Rashford be even in the squad? Never mind, you know, someone who, who could well be be a starting player in, in the big games for England at this, at this tournament. You'd have 
I'd have said you were crazy, but he's all of a sudden coming into some sort of form, getting plenty of game time at United as well. So, from that perspective, you know, a, a Marcus Rashford on form is a really, really dangerous thing for England. Absolutely, and, and England need him alongside Harry Kane, or as a, as a as an option for Harry Kane. Um, Marcus Rashford, the footballer, I think, has um, has reinvented himself at Manchester United. You can see the confidence in his game. Um, I think his focus has been really, really good. Um, and that bodes well for England than Marcus Rashford in this World Cup. James Madison was a was an interesting inclusion. There was nervous moments as well, I guess, when when he picked up the hamstring injury last weekend. But of course, it's only a, it's only a minor problem. Um, adds a lot of a bit of something different, I guess, to that England attack and, and the threat from set pieces as well, Clive. Which look, who knows, might be important. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, those moments in games that can make the difference. I think we have the potential of a, a number of those players, Madison, Grealish, Foden. Um, I think Bellingham gives us an, a, a goal-scoring attacking option from midfield. Um, Saka, again, grew through the Euros, was fantastic. So I think there's there's lots of potential match winners, which, in a, in a again, in a tournament situation, is what you need. Games can be tight. It can be moments that make the difference, and um, I think that Gareth has a number of options for for those occasions. Which theory do you subscribe to when it comes to penalties? Do you, like, do you, do you practice? Do you over practice? Do you not look at them? Is it hard to replicate the pressure of a of a penalty shootout? Regardless, there's not much point, or just leave it to each individual player. Or how do you think they should or will approach that? Well, it's a it's a very difficult one because you're you're an individual in that situation. Um, obviously, you'll go you go to take those penalty kicks with your thoughts in your mind. Some players like to practice. Some players practice every day after training for for five ten minutes. Um, there there can be generic sessions where the whole group will will practice. I think that England did their preparations for the for the penalty kicks through the Euros, and they they came came good. And I think that um, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, if that routine isn't isn't continued, there'll be attention to detail that um, games could come down to penalty kicks, and I think England will be well prepared. Uh, what do you think is going to happen, Clive? What What's your instinct about where this is going to go for England now? I, I, I think England will get to the semi-finals. I think that, um, and if they get to the semi-finals, then then anything can happen. It is getting that far. Um, obviously, you know there'll, there'll be a surprise team along the way. There'll, there'll be a surprise result we know that's going to happen but I think that um, England know what they need to do um, and the deeper they go into the competition I think the, the more the belief grows and again as I say they will draw on the experience they've had over the last four years that um, that could pay big dividends for them Sterling and Luke Shaw were kind of uh, two key standout performers for them in the last tournament is there anybody unexpected that you think might step up and actually be very important for England over the next month? Oh, for me, Jude Bellingham. Uh, Bellingham, I, I know we know of Jude Bellingham, but watching him play for Dortmund, uh, Champions League, and now for England, I, I think he um, he's an outstanding talent. I think he dovetails really well with Declan Rice. Um, he's an attacking midfield player who can score goals, and, and that could be something that could make the difference. Uh, obviously, England, you look at England, you're always going to be identifying Harry Kane to stop him getting chances, getting opportunities. Uh, but I think Bellingham could play a massive part. If, if Jude Bellingham has a, has a big World Cup, England could go very close to winning it. I don't know if you've seen any of the videos of the, the England fans, some accusations of, of some fake fandom over there at the minute in Qatar. Clive, a lot of uh, 
um, I guess locals wearing England jerseys and I suppose the, the England fans from over uh, in England haven't really travelled over just yet but it's going to be a strange World Cup from, from many perspectives Yes it will but I think um, I think we have to focus on the games the, the competition that the world's coming together um, they, in a weird way it's going to be one of the fairest World Cups I think we'll see in respect that the grounds are all around Doha there's, there's not travelling you're not travelling thousands of miles to go into altitude or, or, or then back below sea level um, and then um, I think that all, all the ingredients are for a very fair World Cup pitches will be the same the climate is going to be exactly the same for all the players um, they come into the tournament having been six months into their domestic seasons. Yes, players pick up injuries, but you do when you're playing your league campaigns anyway. But um, I, I think it's going to be a, a fascinating and a very enjoyable World Cup. Clive, good stuff. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Absolute pleasure. Cheers. It's uh, Clive Allen giving us some thoughts there from the England perspective. Six minutes past nine this morning. If you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. 87 180 is the WhatsApp number. Um, a reminder, OTBAM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you across the day today. OTB Gold is an Irish football special with Shay Given, Niall Quinn, Jason McAteer and Kevin Kilban. Koi Gig is uh, our three o'clock show today. Sport and the Easter Rising is our retro panel from four. And then at six, it's Colm Gooch Cooper and um, his career retrospective. And then obviously the show is back live tonight from seven with Joe Malloy and the team. Up next, we have ex-jockey and Instagram and TikTok fitness star Evan Daly in studio. OTB AM. Ten minutes past nine. I'm delighted to say Evan Daly is with us in studio this morning. Evan, good morning to you. How are you? Not a bother now. Thanks very much for having me on. Thank it's, you. It's very good to see you in the flesh because normally I'm watching you on my Instagram feeds. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're busy on the gram. Yeah, it's mad now, to be honest. The last year was mental. So I was like, uh, I went from, I'd say this time last year, I was a thousand followers on Instagram. There's now 150 TikToks, nearly 100,000. It's, it's, it's mental what can happen and the last year has been a dream nearly to be honest with you it's, it's uh, started off I suppose the whole business is one to one it's all online now um, that was so a dr- I saw recently you were selling your gym equipment like- yeah yeah that was it yeah so I started off only this time probably I'd be year and a half in business I suppose now not even a year and a half actually and it was all one to one in person and decided to move it all online from the start of the summer and it's, yeah, I have a group coaching service and a one to one coaching service in so yeah it's going brilliant couldn't be happier now to be honest yeah what was behind the Instagram explosion what do you think it was I suppose to be honest I got I'm not sure you were Sean Casey did you ever see him online as well he does recipes and as well same, same sort of content as well but basically Sean, I reached out to Sean this time last year because he had exploded himself and just with the help of his course which is a social circle it's called and it was it's been a game changer just I suppose knowing what the algorithm wants but then I think just putting out relatable content I think was the biggest thing and that's kind of the feedback I get from people that they're can connect with it and can relate to it and I think that's the difference the way approach I take with it is just with all the clients you have they're everyone has similar problems so I'm just like right if these are the same problems there's going to be more people with them you it know what I mean that's true. and try and just yeah. make it as engaging as possible and try and put some sort of humour behind it uh, if we can at all it's, <laughs> it's a unique style as well like the videos for people who haven't seen them like, so you're, you're essentially talking to yourself as two different characters but like it's such in many of the videos Like, but it's so, it's so simple because you're not relying on anyone else you just have to be there yourself And yeah it, it, well, I did one of them before and I was just literally I, I was after doing one and I was like uh, I just thought right this might actually work even though I felt like a low 
mug there chatting I'd away say, myself, you the know first I mean? time it's like <laughs> <laughs> it, it might look like 30 seconds it would take nearly 30 minutes um, but basically people I think might have been able to kind of kind of click with that and when I did it the first day I was just after making a cup of coffee I think for myself after firing it up and I'd say five minutes in ten minutes in maybe it was on 30,000 TikTok I was like lovely here we go <laughs> it's mad like it's mad when people when people connect with the video like it's just it's it's social media nowadays is like there, there's no end like it can you can literally just reach an insane amount of people like you know like I suppose when I was I was in America all summer there and when I went over, I was on 10,000 on Instagram and I came home and I had reached 150,000 and in one day I'd gone up 50k like do you know what I mean and that was just from one video going viral so I suppose opportunity is something unbelievable now like you know it's, it's unbelievable the, the, the benefit of um of not doing the stuff in person means that you don't necessarily just have an Irish audience. That's the that's the thing, and I suppose you're always going to be limited a little bit to the amount of people you can work with and the amount of people you can help. I suppose when you have just an in person business, and for me, I my idea was to I wanted to maybe do a little bit of travelling and stuff as well. Do you know what I mean? So. I was I was always a dream of mine maybe 10 years time to have an online business but I just didn't think it was going to happen so soon you know and that's just thanks to I suppose the opportunity on social media now at the moment so you can just you're limited with your time and the amount of people you can work with in person whereas online it's just like you can reach such a massive audience there's people worldwide like from Australia Canada America it's it's, it's mental yeah um, so let's get this story to go back to the very yeah, start yeah. right um uh, your first sport what was your what was the first sport first sport was probably hurling I suppose okay right Gollum man so yeah first sport was hurling from there when I was what was the club Climber Daly is called okay right Climber yeah Daly, yeah um, yeah for having one senior in, since eighty six I think it was so we're we're, we're a bit behind um, but basically I started off hurling when I was about eight did a, started a bit of horse riding and that and um, started horse riding in the family yeah no not really I suppose did you ever hear the horse called um, Chicago Grey. He won in Cheltenham Gare going back probably oh you're talking maybe eight years ago or that. But basically John Earls is 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 um is a relation of mine and uh, Michael Earls, you know, Easy Fix. Yeah. They're basically they're relations of mine and they would have been the closest wits in regards to racing, but they were still they're still second cousins like so it wasn't actually in the initial I suppose the 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 first cousins are are, are close are real close family, I suppose. So I just happened to just get into get into horse riding, a bit of hunting, things like that and um it was just like an addiction, I suppose. You know what I mean? It was like an addiction. Then from there, started pony racing. What age is this? 13, 14? Says, yeah, I suppose. Started off at eight. Then I started pony racing. I was about 12. Started up going up to gardens. Um, Garden Elliot's there, let's say, uh, every Saturday, kind of. If I How could. does that happen? Do you just ring him up and say, I want to call No, actually, I was, yeah, would you know Tom Howley? Um, he'd be a friend of gardens there friend of gardens um but he would have helped me get into gardens and just just happened to happen to get in and just was riding out on saturdays pony racing on sundays right and it just started just going up and up and up i suppose and then it was like like racing's a mad game like when you reach the age of 13 14 like you're you're having to like think of future straight away you know what i mean and take things very serious in regards to weight you're growing you're seeing the numbers rise in the scale and you're like right i'm i'm a adult you have to grow up very fast that's kind of the way the game is you know you wanted to be a jockey at that stage there was nothing else nothing else right. it was it was all a jockey that was literally that was the only thing that was on the on the mind you know it's school kinda. i did yeah i did my leaving cert thank god right. did my leaving cert um got on all right like you know nothing nothing spectacular either you know got on fine um 
but I was still in a pre- I was racing in fifth year in school, right? Let's say Dundalk, things like that. Um, I still racing while I was in school. I was an apprentice for Jar Jar Lines and learned an awful lot with Jar. Like he, that was actually a massive grounding. Like even even to where I am now, I found like it was there was some like with Jar. It was like he's very straight man. You know what I mean? So I actually learned a lot. Even not even just racing wise, but I think just even in the in regards to work or work ethic, ethic like you know what I mean it actually go fair ground and in fairness so from there with Jar for maybe two years had maybe five I think maybe five winners in the flat so just for I'm going to say for anybody who's kind of unfamiliar Jar Lines is a flat trainer at this stage you want to be a flat jockey that's what your ambition is that's exactly it so flat jockey that was it but I always thought right it was realistic I thought I was going to get uh, a little bit heavy so I'd always had the idea that I would have to go jumping um, because obviously when you're a jump jockey you have to a little bit higher weights um, so basically I thought that was going to be the, the road I was going to have to take and maybe two years in I just said to Jar, right I am getting a little bit heavy here now I'm struggling had an awful probably a massive like lack of knowledge in regards to nutrition I think it's it's it's, it's massive with jockeys it's the lack of knowledge is detrimental to be honest so uh, just sorry to, mm. to, to go slowly through this bit so what weight are you in your lines that, that is a bit too heavy for flat jockey mm. yeah so basically I was waking up at the time where I was like right I'm a little bit heavy I was waking up probably maybe 9293 even some mornings possibly and I would have been doing I could do weights of maybe eight nine. 8, 8, 8, 10 so basically you'd obviously have to sweat off that in your 24 hours or whatever. 6 pounds in, the, in yeah, 24 hours yeah that was that was just constant So when you, I, when you don't really have it to, to lose that's the thing and it, I, I was thinking like right this is very early days to, to have to go to this extreme and I was like right I actually always had the intention of being a jump jockey so I'm like right I can now probably get more opportunities as being a jump jockey because I'm going to be able to ride at the bottom weight so I'm like right this is a no brainer like so Got down, met or rang, Jar actually rang Joseph for me. So, right. yeah, moved down to Joseph O'Brien's from there because I was like, right, there's just so much more, there, there'd surely be more opportunities. Um, because as I said, because I could ride at the bottom weight, whereas on the flat, I just struggled to even, not even get close to the bottom weight realistically, you know what I mean? It was after school, you're about 20, 21. Yeah, yeah, I was only about actually, I'm only 22 now, so this is right. probably when I just turned 18, maybe, just okay. barely turned 18, not actually, into 17 actually is when I was, um, into 2017, I think October over time so moved down and actually like loved it like I loved it had a few good winners um, had a winner for, for, for Mr McManus um, Gigginstown um, so yeah had actually good time to be honest like uh, an okay time you know what I mean had a few nice winners was tipping away nothing drastic either but there was more opportunities starting to arise in that you know but at the same time again I was still struggling a little bit with weight. My weight was constantly creeping up and up and up a little bit. Not a massive, not a very tall fella, but I was just doing things like completely arseways, like, you know, like genuinely completely, completely backwards. But that was just down to the a, a lack of education, you know. And um, You hadn't gone to race or anything like that? You hadn't no, come through that, that system? No, no, nothing like that. Nothing like that. Um, nothing like that. I just came from, straight from school, basically, right. to be honest. Straight from school. I'd get help off dietitians and stuff, but it wasn't, I don't think things were really it didn't land with you obviously Mm, yeah I I don't think things were explained very well like looking back with the knowledge I have now of it and like right I I actually possibly think I maybe would have been still in the game if 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 I had maybe a better knowledge of nutrition and that and wasn't doing things so backwards you know because that and injuries were a thing that was probably a massive factor of finishing racing to be honest Um, and I'm actually kind of adamant of that you know um so yeah that was so from from there I suppose from the, where are we now yeah so I suppose from the 20 2020 
sorry, 2019, got a fall in Clonmel, did my vertebrae as my back, came back eight, nine weeks later, broke my collarbone and came back again. I was just like, right. I, I, I came to the stage where I was like, right, I'm not even really wanting a ride as such, you know what I mean? I was back down in Joe's and I was like, I, usually before I'd be like, constantly refreshing, talking to the agent and do you know what I mean? Really wanting rides. But I got to a point where I wasn't really wanting them. I was like, right, this is, this must be it, even though it was an a, issue there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> massive issue. So that was a very, very hard decision. Like, you know, when you're yeah. growing up and everything is racing, you know? You're very matter of fact, uh, did, did the vertebrae, like, that means you you broke those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I fra- this is the thing I always find with the jockeys. Like ah, just throw that bit down because like if you know if everybody has a little bit of a pain in their back and in the real world they're like oh my back I can't move. Yeah. Whereas you guys break a vertebrae and it's like yeah I was back in eight weeks. You know, it's mad. It it, it, it is mad. It's when, ma- when you step outside of the bubble you're like it's totally mad. I'm telling you now, me looking back in, I'm like them men and and women. Sorry, are are like made of iron like you know what I mean they're made of iron and I obviously probably hadn't that same iron inside me you know what I mean because them falls got to me nearly like you know I was like right this is no life like I'm literally hitting the deck here at 40 mile an hour getting hammered to the ground when I'm looking back it's just it's the craziest sport but like no one outside that sport realise what them people are made of like they are made of iron and as I said it's not even just hit, getting falls it's it's constant constant weight management constant weight cutting like some of the lads they're like some of the flat jockeys like they're struggling on a daily daily basis like constantly cutting weight like six pounds a normal weight cut like you know that's getting in the way of your everyday, every, everyday life as well and the injuries you're like Jesus this is another eight weeks twelve weeks of this that's the thing and that was the biggest thing I found so when I when I kind of had the time off this is another thing actually like right, when you're a jump jockey I'm not sure how it's a change now but I don't think that maybe they might have got an extra week but like you actually only have two weeks off 10 days it was when I was racing I think it was 10 days yeah 10 days to two weeks off actually with no racing like in an entire year that's mad stuff like you know what I mean that's mad stuff um and I was just when I was, I was off racing I came back home I was like Jesus Christ I, we're there isn't much of a life here like I was like I'm missing out on an awful lot of things not even like social things as such but just just everyday lifestyle decisions you have to make and I was at a point where my whole outlook on food was very bad I was doing bad things in regards to to, to my food um, what kind of stuff uh, like there was there was probably a little bit of um, I suppose a little bit of make myself sick the odd time oh, and no, things like right. that you know what I mean so and were you talking to anybody about that or was no, it no that's and it's only recently I would have said that I suppose on, on a few podcasts now because now I can look back and like yeah, I can now say it, like it's 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 uh, it's a thing that that goes on you know what I mean it's a thing that goes on but like when I'm looking back I'm like right that was that wasn't normal you know was it it's a thing that goes on. Do you think that other of your peers were doing it too? Was it spoken 100%. about? Uh, not probably out loud, but yeah, y- y- it, it, you know. it happens. Like yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. That's pretty grim, isn't it? Yeah, it is grim. It is grim. Like I'm not sure the this how many people are at like that, but I'm one hundred percent. Yeah, it definitely will. Ha- it does happen. Like you know, um, it's 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 a common thing in everyday life. People aren't aware of actually how common this is. Like it's uh, it's 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 a. Uh, I was I wasn't completely out of control of it. I'll put it that way to you. Like yeah. I used to just go through phases of like I'd be just. It, it was, I suppose, to an extent, binge eating because of severe restriction and then a severe binge, and then obviously you 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 would make yourself sick and you'd feel better and get it up, whatever you know. It's a, it's a it doesn't sound great, like, but it was just the reality of the situation, you know. And again, it was down to the lack of understanding of the whole the whole thing, you know. It's funny that comes across in in your constant videos is like, uh, you know, uh, don't 
don't kill yourself yeah. don't binge because the binge is bad but then when you do binge don't worry about it that's not the end of your life exactly you have to forgive yourself for it yeah that's massive like every day I, it's it's only when you work with more and more people you're seeing the exact same things right nutrition in my opinion is probably one of the most overcomplicated things that there, there is to be honest it's the most overcomplicated thing people think we need to go to drastic things making extremely overcomplicated meals making uh, not allowing to have this food not allowing yourself to have this food where we need to just kind of strip it back and be like right what are the principles of uh, weight, weight loss is the is the thing that Ireland is really struggling with at the moment like obesity is a massive problem in Ireland at the moment and it is on the rise I think it's second in the charts to Malta which is which is a which is a fairly not, not it's not a brilliant statistic you know what I mean so we're obviously doing something wrong and I personally think that it's it's a it's a massive amount of misinformation that's out there now through different I suppose weight loss programs demonizing certain certain food groups instead of looking at the real issue that is literally overall energy balance is absolute fundamental of your of your weight loss and of weight gain and that's a fact of the matter it's not your one specific food group but people are trying to think it's bread, trying to think or think that it's bread, think that it's chocolate, think it's their alcohol. They think it's like one thing. So they take out probably one thing that they completely enjoy, might stick to it for maybe a couple of weeks, maybe lose a bit of weight. They can't last with that and they end up putting all the weight back on again. Like, you know what I mean? It's pleasure denial. Like, it, and, literally. And it doesn't work in the long term. Doesn't. It, it absolutely doesn't. And um, it, it absolutely doesn't. And it's, it's a fact. You know what I mean? Like, whenever you tell yourself you're, if you tell yourself right I like if I told you don't think of the wall behind you you're going to start thinking of the wall behind you it's the same thing as with like food if you tell yourself you can't have something you're just going to want it so much more and people will be just testing the willpower nearly pulling I, the analogy I'd use like you're restraining yourself constantly 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 till you can't do it anymore you know what I mean whereas people need to question their beliefs around nutrition and let's say a person who has maybe put on weight over the years and struggling with, with, with weight loss over the years, they need to like strip it back and be like, right, question, why have I got from here to here? You know what I mean? Like, nutrition's very simplistic, but at the same time, there's a lot of factors that influence a person to the amount that we eat. Stress, sleep, relationships, uh, work, you know what I mean? Like, stress eating is a massive thing, you know what I mean? And comfort eating is massive, you know? But again, at the same time, it's it's a lot to do with a person's overall relationship with food and that's something I try and just drive home to people try and work on that massively because it's it affected me massively as well Well I was going to say it's like it, there's a real credibility about your stuff in the videos you make because you're actually and you don't talk about the fact that when I was a jockey I did this thing but mm. it, it kind of the architecture on which the videos are built is actually something meaningful and real De- definitely it, it, it definitely is based on something that I probably struggle with as well um, like you can't just solely base it on what you struggle with but at the same time there's I, I noticed there's a lot of um, people will relate to things an awful lot because like I went through phases where I tried shake diets I tried cutting out carbs I tried cutting out bread I tried cutting out everything I tried to cut out whereas people just forget right how can we add maybe add things in maybe that were not absolutely wall fall with the hunger come 8 o'clock at night and we end up going to the biscuit tin and having 25 biscuits you know what I mean yeah. like it's people will try and restrict 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 but then binge and, uh, and overeat you know so uh, apart from making yourself sick what other bad habits had you got into when you were trying to make weight and what, what was the fundamental issue that you had now if you could tap yourself on the shoulder mm-hmm. and go just fix this what would you do I would Number one, I suppose, I, I, like when I'm in, when you're in that desperate situation to lose weight, I suppose it probably uh, like you you try you, you try and think of right, it's more it's it's more overcomplicated. It, it, it's over it's more overcomplicated than just simply 
calories in versus calories out but the fundamental it actually isn't right but I wasn't fully aware of that right so I always thought it would have to be more complicated than it had to be one food or whatever so I would actually strip myself down and be like right we need to have more balanced meals throughout the entire day and not just like picking a small little bits here and there which in turn over the course of the day I'd probably have more calories than I was if I sat down and had three solid satisfying actual meals right. a nice hit of protein and you know what I mean actually have balanced meals instead of trying to just pick 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 and end up probably in way more calories uh, in, in, in total you know so it was actually what I probably would do in very simple terms actually try and satisfy myself more and just have more quality satisfying meals as I said instead of just going for the small little bits I used to think this is the mindset I was in I used to think right nearly the bigger the food I was like right this is going to show on the scale because like it's a day to day scale weight that your jockey kind of has to nearly make to an extent so I used to think oh, I, I, this is nearly lighter you know what I mean this is lighter than this you know that sort of way it was a mad thought process I was in it was mad but that was just such confusion and such because there's so many messages coming from a million different places yeah, you see, Pete, it's a, it's a very, I suppose, it's a money-making industry, um, fitness, like, and that's literally, um, people make money off people's insecurities, and uh, in regards to, people are so, so disgenuine, like, you know what I mean? Like, people will try and say, uh, nutrition, it doesn't sound, I suppose, nice to the ear when you're like right it is about energy balance it is about having a bit more protein a bit more fruit and veg like it actually they are actually the things that you need to do but that doesn't sound uh, nice enough to the person's ear surely it's over more over more complicated than that so people will take advantage of that and try to sell a person this magical supplement this magical drink this magical shake you know what I mean when um, they're, they're literally just making millions upon millions of, of people's lack of knowledge I suppose you know which is very unfair there's, a, there's an obsession with scale as well like and the scales mm-hmm. and people looking at the number on that and, and becoming completely yeah. obsessed with it I'm sure you've seen a lot of that this is massive this is massive and do you know what it is right it's not actually the actual this again comes from certain weight loss things um, certain weight loss things where the only metric of success is scale weight right and that's not the case right there's so many different things that you need to look at like how you're feeling your clothes measurements strength in the gym performance etc right but People put all their focus into one number in the scale, but you see, people are using the scale wrong. People don't understand, right? People will use the scale solely for weight loss, right? And they'll be like, right, if it's up a pound today, I must have gained a pound. And people associate that with fat and you know what I mean? Whereas we need to understand that your scale weight's going to go up and down every single day by maybe three, four pound. You know, like the, it can fluctuate massively. You might have had extra carbohydrates, mean you're going to retain more water weight, which isn't a bad thing. It sorts itself out. You might have more salt, retain more water weight. You might be more stressed, retain more water weight. You might have ate later the night before the food's still in your system. So the approach that I take with a lot of people is actually educate them on the scale and actually understand how to use the scale correctly. Actually hop on the scale more than one day a week because if you're just hopping the scale one day a week, this is if you're tracking your fat loss progress. If you're only hopping the scale one day a week, it's completely inaccurate. Like, there's 101 different factors. Whereas if we can get a moving average, remove the, the emotional attachment to that scale, we're in a far, far better position to actually have a better relationship with the scale, have a better understanding with the scale, and actually see what true progress means. Because I notice on a daily basis now, people will freak out. Let's, usually week one, person goes into a deficit they, they start dropping body fat they'll see a massive reduction maybe right maybe two three four five pound maybe right because they lose a bit of water weight at the start then it'll start slowing down maybe week two three four people think they hit a plateau because they maybe might just stood on the scale of a monday and they might have had maybe 
take away the weekend which isn't a bad thing it just means your, your, the scale weight will be up slightly which cuts a bit of water retention food volume and stuff you know so people think they've lost all their progress everything's done wrong they end up giving up move on to the next diet and try that for another few weeks you know um, and people have an unrealistic I have unrealistic expectations when it comes to scale weight they expect to lose four or five pound every single week whereas people can't just accept that in order to enjoy your life have actually a bit of flexibility pound a week just slowly going down and not expect it to actually go down on a weekly basis because it doesn't I'm an I advocate for actually teaching people how to use a scale correctly instead of just being like no don't worry about the scale don't worry about the scale because I don't think that resolves anything deep down it's about having different metrics using a combination of metrics and actually educating the person correctly in my opinion you it's know? a single data point as opposed to the exactly, the exactly. Whereas if you have the, remove that attachment you know and use different ones it's, it's far better take us back to the decision to give up being a jockey was it at the end was it obvious to yourself uh, and how long did it take for the obviousness of the decision to to hit because you said it was a hard decision but at the same time when you're like don't really want the phone to ring because I'm not really that keen part of you knows that this is over yeah telling yourself that is obviously difficult mm. when I go back and think about it right I'd say it was even it was even after I think just as I came back into my second uh, just, just after when I did my collarbone I was like Jeez, I'm not sure about this. Like, you know what I mean. I, I when I did it, and I was like a few weeks off again. I was like, this is life. Like, this is this is this is life going forward. You know what I mean? Um, the next like, twenty years. Yeah, and if, you're, if you're a, successful. Yeah, there's a there's a massive. Um, obviously, the injured jockeys fund is absolutely brilliant. Like, but you have to be making up to a nice amount of money as well to be able to get a nice uh, a nice fund off them for when you're for when you're injured. Whereas I was literally making three hundred a week. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't doing me any good. It wasn't doing me any good at the time. If this is if a person is like wanting to say for a mortgage down the line, you have to think of them things even when you're younger and that's a fact. Um just you have to th- I, I always say to myself, right, do think long term when you're making a a decision in regards to your career, you know what I mean? So I was of the decision even when I did my collarbone throughout that kind of six weeks, I was off six, eight weeks. I was like, kind of question myself, but I was like, I'm not saying it to a sinner, you know what I mean? Um, because I was going to ask, are you asking anybody no, for it? No, but if you say it to a sinner, right, if, uh, that's the way I looked at it, right? If I was saying it to anyone, but then I changed my mind, I'd always know that one person is thinking I'm doubting things, you know what I mean? And as well, another thing with racing, like I've no issue saying this, like, because I'm finished now, it makes no odds, but like, if you say you want to finish and you're after maybe breaking a bone straight away people be like oh, he lost his bottle he lost his bottle he's a coward or whatever which maybe a little bit of your bottle does go like I, I don't give a shit sorry I don't care saying that now you know what I mean um, but is it, it not, is it not normal to have like I, jockeys always insist that bottle is either broken and it's always full yeah, or it's empty there's no in between yeah um, like that can't be true there definitely have to be there have to be times <laughs> when all the greatest jockeys fell over broke a bad bone they're lying in the hospital and their family are going what the hell are you doing and they're like you're right what the hell am I doing but six weeks later the body starts to feel good again and they're like I'm going to give it one more go and then they, they make a comeback I believe yeah. in the human spirit that's all I'm saying yeah like, I, I, think, I, I, I kind of agree with it to some extent but at the same time they are a different mentality you know what I mean and I, I, I obviously didn't have that massive massive I didn't at the end of the day I probably didn't have that absolutely diehard mentality of being a jockey you know and I wouldn't say that it was just because my bot went by any means at all there was a lot of multiple factors and to be honest I'd, I, I've only saying that now because just things even come to my head but like the main reason for it was the lack of opportunities the lack of 
um, I suppose you're the, the unknown I suppose is the way I'll put it to you the lack of a life <laughs> that's the way I'd say it you know but again some people love it you know and, and, and live for it and that's completely fine like you know uh, so you built a, you built a bit of a name as well like I'm, I'm right, you're right in saying that you're the first jockey born in the 21st century to ride a winner so, on an Irish race course so which, that actually yeah that, like, that, that's going to put your name out there people can be like oh that's a fairly interesting point as well which is going to make your make people follow your career I guess a bit more yeah like I've, maybe it was to be honest it's not one thing that I actually thought of massively to be honest like um, it's not one thing I think probably one of the biggest things I met a name for myself was I'm not sure do you ever see but oh uh, yeah, yeah. That, hey, hey yeah. do we have the video I think we've got the video round it there Roshi <laughs> that was actually <laughs> so, <laughs> you ever on standby there you go <laughs> so where are you here that's you on the, that's that's me, you in the yeah. beanie hat oh, that was the worst day of my life the worst day of my life <laughs> my god it was absolutely brutal <laughs> what happened I was, I was actually riding a horse called Gold Seal I won the RT hurdle on him it was a 50 grand handicap down this toll and that was my biggest winner and this was the I think it was the time oh no this was the first time I actually rode him so I actually got the ride back on him again the next time and I actually won the Laird but this is in Navin and I um, I had a couple of pounds to lose for it I had maybe like four, five, six pounds not sure what I had to lose but I had another like maybe pound to take off that day so I threw on the sweat gear arrived the race course uh, in the middle of the race I think that was a grade two race actually um, arrived the race course in the middle of the race and the waiting room was really quiet and usually there'd be good old atmosphere so I obviously dehydrated the bone I, I, I came into the place and didn't really think much I was like for some reason I think at the time it's like the racing obviously didn't start even though I wasn't even right till maybe like the 5th 6th race so obviously the racing started I knew that like but I obviously had a blank moment and uh, I went out to put on my earphones throw on a hat listen I remember the song and everything George Ezra hold my girl <laughs> but I went out and for some reason thank God I wouldn't be here today but if you actually see it right I was just on the way back in after going wide around the hurdle so I was just on the way back in here right whereas usually what I do is I go under the railing so it makes no sense that I actually went wide that day whereas usually I go to the left and I'd be killed in because I would have been there you know what I mean so Um, it was a blessing it was and you wouldn't blessing. have been hit by one of them it would have been multiple horses it would have been multiple of them. I would have got killed 100% like stone dead I'd say but like um, I, I remember I was, I was thinking right where am I I'm in Navin there's a side camera and I'm, I'm, I was looking I was like right I'm at the side camera if I'm at the side I'm sound if I'm at the front and I looked up and there it was just facing me in the eye I was like <laughs> oh no came by took off my hat going by the, the stand because obviously it was a loop in his hat like going by the stand and all the boys obviously whoever they are obviously drunk up in the stand they're going hey. oh, <laughs> so no brutal it was Did did you get in trouble for it? Uh, the stewards were waiting for me, all right. Um, they, they were waiting for me, but they were... Uh, I just basically said, look, lads, I can't... Say, I, I I don't know what happened. Like, it was a blank moment. Whatever punishment there is, there is. But it was, like, I think it was Ruby, David Russell, Robbie Power, Jack Indy, Mark Walsh, and they were... They, uh, Ruby was just filling his glass of uh, his jug of water. I remember at the the canteen, like I was just like, sorry, sorry, but then he was like, what the hell happened? But they're all a one about it, like you know, they were doing some laughing. But um, yeah, it was. Did lucky. anybody in the way room cancel you to come back? That actually, you know, this is just a little bad period. Everybody has these injuries earlier in their career. Stay with it. Um, no, not really, because. I think I think when you make a decision like that, right, that big, people don't just think that it was a a once-off decision. Some lads, right, would have been like, "Would you not stay going? Would you not stay going? Would you not stay and give another go?" But as I said, right, I think in that game, it's a game that's it's it's a very like isolated game, right? It's it's a little bit of an isolated life to an extent. Like your friends and everyone are all racing and. I think time can pass very fast in it and I, the, my thought process at the time I was like right do I want to spend another 10 years being a journeyman yeah. and I'm like right I'm now 
19 I still have a nice I can make I go back to college actually went back to college um, went doing engineering um, but if only did a year there I hated it that's when I opened up the gym so I was just kind of like no I made the decision that's just it because I just didn't want just to waste my whole yeah. 20s you know so no, it was the best decision I ever made to be honest, look, but don't regret a thing it's wise you know to, to be able to spot that and to know that you don't have the love for this thing that you did love and you wanted and it's good to see as well that like because a lot of people you know get very bitter about life when they don't make it in the thing that they've dedicated everything to but you don't have that yeah no not now not now like at the time right you'd be very lost now right at the time because like as I said I know this might sound mad but like once you are 8 years of age like you're a jockey that's as in like that's all that's in your mind you know school is school but like for that's a good period of time to be like I'm this is my only thing future wise and then for that to go you're like oh lord what's going on here now like you know so I was very very lost there for a period of time and it was only I was just thinking right I thought I wanted like just a stable 9 to 5 job is kind of what I wanted with not much stress or whatever I'm not sure is that a thing like but with not much stress so I um just was in a factory for, for a while because I was too late for the CEO after doing my personal training course and I was like after a few months I was like right I don't want this I kind of I wanted my job that I could actually kind of somewhat uh, uh, like get a satisfaction out of my job you know what I mean and straight away I just reverted back I was like right I'm actually not even caring about money at the moment so I'm like right what is it I want to do so I tried to strip it back because I reached a fucking low enough point like you know so I wanted to strip it back and I was like right what do I enjoy I did my personal training course. I said, right, I'm going to open up my own studio. So pumped a bit of money into PT studio and um, that took off, filled up. And um, I decided then, right, I'm not, I actually passed first year engineering, so I did, but uh, I decided I didn't go back. I wasn't going back in September because I opened up, I'm going to give this a go. And then I started pushing social media from the December, just gone by. And yeah, it's going well, touch wood, please God, it stays going, you know. Yeah, well, listen, we wish you the very best of luck with it. You're very good to come in today, uh, enjoy the Christmas shopping. And um, if, if anybody hasn't already follow you on your multiple platforms, where's the best ones? Uh, Evan Daily underscore Daily Fitness, TikTok and Instagram, and then the Daily Fitness podcast then as well. Thanks a million. Yeah, brilliant. good stuff. Thanks, Evan, that was brilliant. Thanks a million. Stay there for a second. OTBAM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. Tomorrow, uh, Jamie Heaslip will preview this weekend's game with Australia. Sue Ronan is the latest on our uh, You Had to Be There and much more as well. OTBAM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent Mo.